my one-hour comedy special, The Machine, airs on Showtime November 11th at 10 p.m. That's right, everybody. I am very pleased to announce my one-hour comedy special on Showtime, The Machine, airs 11-11 at 10 p.m. So do me a favor. Spread the word, tell your friends, set your DVRs, put it on your post-it at work, tattoo it on your arm, watch it in your machine shirt that you can get at BurtBurtBurt.com, and tell everyone the machine, 11-11 at 10 p.m. Hey guys, brand new podcast, uh, and you're going to love it, I promise you. Uh, this weekend, let's real quick run through some tour dates. This weekend, I'm at Gotham in New York, the 21st, 22nd, 23rd. I'm going to be in New York until the 26th. I'm doing an Unmasked, the 25th, with Ron Bennington. I think it's at Sirius XM Studios. If you want to get tickets, just look for them. I'm at Mermaids in Fayetteville, Arkansas, on the 28th of October. Guys, check it out. It's a brand new club. It's a seafood club. It comes highly recommended from Doug Stanhope, and I can't wait to do it. I'm looking to get down, so if you guys come on out, get ready to get down. Funny Funny Bone Dayton, the 3rd, 4th, and 5th of November. That is my birthday. I'll be doing Bob and Tom the morning of the 3rd, and I'll be throwing a surprise party myself for myself all day that day. Uh, The next weekend, Baltimore Comedy Factory. I'll be on Elliot in the morning on the 11th. (coughs) <coughs> of <coughs> November, 11th of November, 11-11 at 10 p.m., my hour Showtime special airs. I'm going to keep saying this ad nauseum. In December, Tampa, Morty's, Fort Lauderdale, Levity Live at Oxnard for New Year's Eve. Come out, get busy. <coughs> I'm still coughing. I talk about that at the very beginning of this podcast. Today's podcast is a fantastic one. This is a guy I've known for a very long time. He's one of my first, like when I became, started making friends out in L.A., like legit friends. We talk about all this. I'm just going to spoil this podcast. He's a stand-up comedian. He's got amazing stories. He tells two of which, three of which on this podcast, one immediately. Then we talk about a couple of movies that he got into directing and how he got into that. But he's a stand-up at heart, and he's a great storyteller. So, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for my friend, Mike Young. This is... You're under war. You're, you're at war right now, dude. It is. Did it start as something small and became a fucking monster? No, it's no. It, we started. I think I'm recording. The uh, we started. <coughs> I don't think I realized what I was getting into at all. Like I think I was under the impression that like like Leanne was like, "We'll live there. You save twenty five grand if you live in the house." So I was like, "Great." Save twenty five grand. How bad can it be? Yeah, how bad can it be, dude? And there's not one person that you meet that doesn't say, um, "Man, I'd second guess that living through a renovation with your family." It's I mean, the worst. It's the toughest period of our marriage. We almost got divorced. Like all the shit. I might break up with you. I mean, <laughs> I'm looking at what's going on. There's a full fucking war zone happening at the Chrysler house. I know, and 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 Mexicans are on the front line, <laughs> front line and front lawn the, right uh, now. We the I'll tell you what I'm. I'll tell you where, like very candidly, where it starts is that the first day of demo, 
Like it's like all the fucking moving stuff to one room to one room. It's just like moving. You're, you're slow and you don't have everything moved. And if you're figuring it out, and then uh, and then one day they start demo, and my allergies, just like yeah, you're in a dust bowl. You're in a dust bowl, and I I've got a fucking sinus infection, a chest infection. Yeah, bro. I, the, the, you know what's crazy? The sand under the house has been there since 1939. So that sand was so fucking fine. It was just, and I mean, everything in our house is dusty. And then I, I just was like, I've just resigned to a cough. I've had a cough for like for eight weeks, as long as we've been doing it. Right. Like you, just like a low grade. Like, yeah, you're wheezing. Yeah. And my asthma, like I went on a cruise ship. I was like, this will be nice. Get like a week off going on a cruise. Yeah. I forgot they all smoke on fucking cruises. I was like, Arr. yeah, no, bro. Cat, two dogs, two kids. My wife and me in two rooms. Living room and a bedroom. We should have done this at Starbucks. <laughs> we should have gone to Starbucks, me and you. I told you. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> this is the only safe place. Yeah, no, it feels okay in here. It's it feels, 100% it feels, fine in here. You should sleep in here. Uh, Stay in uh, here. The problem is my uh, I, I get away from myself when I come back here. Right. I have a propensity to fucking start dreaming big. and Right. You, know dream. you don't want to be in the yeah. dream cave. Yeah. Because yeah. this, this is beautiful. I like this, this room. This is amazing. This is but, great. But you get back here and then you're like, and then you're, you're like, fuck it, I'll open a bottle of wine. No one's watching me. It's fucking one in the morning. I can't fall asleep. Let's yeah. A bottle of wine. Let's watch a movie. Oh, shit. I forgot how great 80s music was. I got to get on the treadmill. And then next thing you know, you're fucking spinning out of control. <laughs> drunk workouts. This is I've where been, you should have your drunk workouts. I've been doing it. I've been that's, I, that. This is the problem with the man cave is I come back and I'll open a bottle of wine and I feel I can't just sit and have a bottle of wine and just sit. So I get on the treadmill and walk. I walk like seven miles, have a bottle of wine. Yo, I had like a four. I thought I was the only one that ever did that. <laughs> I, 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 I broke into my building's gym the other night at one thirty in the morning. Are you serious? Half hopped up on tequila, a little oh. bit of weed, and I fucking started going at it. It's the best. It's a great I, workout if you can stay standing I up. It, I do it in hotels. Yeah, I'll come home from drinking. I'll just go. I'm gonna go just do a. Set, I'm gonna just do a set of, tra- of traps. Yeah, fucking shrugs. I'm doing shrugs until I can't do shrugs anymore, and I'm going to bed. By the way, your traps look unbelievable. <laughs> Chrysler's got the bay. If you only knew Bert from the chest up, you'd think he was literally ready to play middle it's, linebacker. It's the only at University of Miami move right I've now. continued to do my whole life are upright rows. Yeah, upright rows, shoulders, buys, and traps. That's it. That's yeah. all I've ever done. The further down your body goes, the just oh. the, the weaker it gets. You see, it's just like it's like America. <laughs> yeah. you, you start at California and it's looking good. The further yeah. west you get, you're like, oh, Chrysler has no calves but he's got oh, fucking amazing no shoulders Dude, i'm jealous of dudes with calves oh, i got cat i don't have rogan calves but i got calves rogan's got fucking rogan's got everything yeah he's got toes <laughs> rogan's toes have fucking bicep muscles he was uh he was in a collared shirt the other night and i just kept going so that's what they're supposed to look like they're yeah. supposed to hang from your tits to your dick oh yeah like i got this i got this like i'm a salesman but i'm in vegas for the weekend look when i put on a collared <laughs> shirt yeah you have a successful body yeah, yeah, right. Um, dude, I'm so glad to fucking <sighs> finally hang with you, bro. I'm, dude. It's been we keep running into each other, but it's my schedule's fucked. My schedule's been weird and wacky. You've got like I, you've got maybe eight of my favorite stories. Yeah, not I, even I, like my uh, favorite story ever. My, the, I, I don't know, if, I don't even know if this is like a story you've told to a bunch of people, but like my favorite story ever is. 
It's not the mafia retribution story. That it's was not. Bad. It's not the fucking. <laughs> yeah. It's not the Leo. It's not the fucking entourage. It's none of that. It, it's the. It's when your dad was dying and he taught you how to run his business. That is wow. I love that you remember that, Bert. You are I think a fucking of that gentleman. So much, man. When yeah. You, there's something. I told you this when I first met you. I said, there's something you have in comedy that not everyone has. And I've said this. I use you as an example to everyone. So whenever I see someone do a joke that's real to them, you go, I go, oh, that's, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Like, uh, that's what yeah. I strive for in my comedy. Is like, it's the thing that makes – I was telling this to my therapist today. It's the thing that makes really good storytelling tough because you want to keep it true. Right. But at the same time, it's those small details that stick with people. You go, you go like your joke about – uh, you ever have that one friend is so fucked up? Yeah, yeah, the criminal friend. The criminal friend. Yeah, just finish the joke. I don't want to tell you a joke. Yeah, no. It's I, I, you ever have that one friend? You knew he was going to be a criminal growing up. You'd be like, hey man, let's throw eggs at the Jacobs. He's like, fuck yeah, then we'll kidnap her fat dad. We can make money here. Yeah, you <laughs> always knew that, who your criminal friend was going to be because it's real. It's real. We'll kidnap her fat dad. Her dad <laughs> didn't need to be fat in that. Yeah, but that's what that guy said, and then you just took it right to the stage, and it and it and it worked on so many fucking levels. But when you told the story about your dad. Passing away. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell, I mean, I, we're, we're talking story, but uh, yeah, my, you know, I'm from Detroit, so I grew up in, scra- in the scrap metal business, you know, so my dad was in scrap metal. So my dad used to, he, he was a peddler. He made a lot of money in the 80s, but he looked like a scrap peddler. He had a dump truck, you know, and, uh, and we would just go like spot to spot picking up scrap, take it down eight miles, sell the scrap, whatever. Yeah. So, boom, I'm 20 years old, and my f- dad gets fucking hit with pancreatic cancer. It's like the worst death sentence, you know, and I'm, I'm in college, and uh, and my dad was just one of these, like, old-school type dudes who was like, even though he was dying, he was going to show his kids how to run the business, and so... I didn't know this was coming. Like, you know, you hear your dad's got cancer. You think, oh, okay, you know, we could beat this or you're going to go to war and it's going to be a, a year-long thing. Yeah. Well, it wasn't. My dad was in such good shape. He was, uh, you know, he was he ran like eight miles a day. He was like an athlete, college athlete. So he was always strong and he didn't get any symptoms till it was too late. So all it's all bad, all bad. Me and my brother, I got a younger brother. And my mom, she doesn't really know how to run the business. She doesn't run the business. She doesn't know what's going on. It's all cash. It's under the table type of shit. It's Detroit shit. It's underworld scrap metal shit. And so I go home thinking that I'm going to go like spend a couple weeks with my dad, kind of get things, like see what's going on. And then I'm going to go back to, in my mind, I'm going to go back to college and I'm going to, you know, whenever they say my dad's getting better, I'll start visiting. I don't think he's going to die like, you know, quickly. So I go back and... And my dad is just like he's in bad shape. He said, "This is I mean, we're not going to cry here, but he, I'm going to let you know. My dad's in bad shape. He's got he's on an oxygen tank, and he's not breathing well. But he's moving around the house a little bit, and he's not eating because he's nauseous every time he eats. Pancreatic cancer. Now they there's a tiny chance you can live, but and there there is a chance. But back you know in ninety in ninety it was not that was not happening. So one day my dad just he yells to me. You know, yells, you know, you know, Michael, get down here. So I don't know what's going on. I go downstairs. He's dressed and he's on the bed and he's like, you know, I want you to go in your mom's closet and get the shoebox. 
And he's like, go get the shoebox. And I'm thinking, like, what, what, what shoebox? He's like, there's a shoebox above all her shoes. It's got some money in it. I want you to go get the shoebox and come here. I go get the shoebox. There's like $75,000 cash in the fucking shoebox. I knew my dad was in the cash business because I'd go to work with him a lot. And I'd see him get 10000 12000 It was always in an envelope. And it yeah. was always like, it was it was legit. That's how you got paid. They say, "Yo, you want Sam? You want a check or you want cash?" He always wanted cash. My wife told me that one time. I, w- I worked in Chicago, and the and Brant, not Brant. I think his yeah. name was Brant. Yeah. Yeah, it was Brant. Yeah, yeah. Brant goes. Uh, hey, remember he put a pistol on the table before he paid you? Yeah. And he'd go, uh, "You want a uh, cash or a check?" And in my head, I'm such a fucking white privileged cunt that I was like, uh, "Check, please." And my wife's like, "Are you a fucking idiot? Take the cash." By the way, that's what I love about Burt Kreischer is that he looks like a maniac. He acts like a fucking animal. I've met his parents. They are like the <laughs> nicest I, yeah. white people. Oh. They are like privileged. They, they look like Florida. They just look like West Palm Beach. Yes. They are su- super cool people, your parents. So anyway, so my dad says, you know, get your brother. Tell him to start the car. We're going to go down to the yard. I want you to take 15000 out of the shoebox, put it in an envelope, and we're going to go. We got to go to the yard. So I know when he says we're going to the yard, we're going to this one scrap yard that he go where his truck is parked, and it's where like our brass account, like brass at the time was like ninety cents a pound, and it's like you can you were making tons of money. So my dad says take fifteen thousand, put it in an envelope, and Robert, my brother, you go get the car started, and you're gonna come with me. And this was like the passing of the baton. So I take fifteen thousand, I put it in my if I put it in my pocket. And we get in the car. My dad's in the back. This is straight out of a fucking movie. My dad's in the back, hooked on oxygen. He's like, listen, we're going to go to the yard. You're going to go see Vern. Vern is like this little Italian thick dude built like Fred Flintstone who just always sat behind the desk at the yard. And he would always call my dad when it was time for the brass pickup. So brass was so much money that he was he'd call my dad the day before and go, Sam, get in here at four thirty in the morning. Brass is get coming. This, in. Brass is coming in. Get this shit out of here before the day starts. Yeah. So those were the times when my dad would wake me up at like four in the morning. Let's, let's go. We'd fucking hop in the truck. I was driving a dump truck at sixteen. You know what I mean? Like I knew how to drive a full dump truck. Yeah. And so. We we go to the yard and there's Vern. Uh, or we get to the yard and my dad says, "Yo, park here. Don't tell anybody I'm here. I don't want anyone to see me like this." So that's like where his head was at. It wasn't like I'm dying. I'm feeling bad for myself. It's like I gotta make sure business continues for my family. And yeah. so he's like prepping everything. So he's like, "Go inside, see Vern. Don't tell him I'm here. He's gonna tell you what to do with the money. He's gonna know you got the money." Just you're going to go whatever he says you just do. So I'm fucking, you know, I'm 19, 20 years old. I'm a little nervous. You know, I really don't hold on to 15,000 ever. (laughs) I got 15,000 in my pocket. I go, my brother stays in the car and I go in. It's loud because the shit's banging and brass is being pressed up on moldings and, you know, things, parts are being stamped out by car for cars, all kinds of shit. And I'm like, hey, Vern. And he's like, you know, he knows that my dad's, he knows that he's sick. He doesn't know how sick. How's your dad feeling? That's eh, not, you know, not too good, but thanks for asking. He's like, all right, you're going to come with me. He goes, you're going to come with me. And he hands me a hard hat, like a construction hard hat. 
and goggles, and he puts on the hard hat and goggles, and he takes me out to the yard outside, where, like, the yard is outside, and, like, literally there's, like, a giant mound of steel, a giant mound of copper coiling, a, a car is getting crushed in the one corner, a, a crane is fucking magnetically lifting another car and dropping it somewhere. It's, this is a real fucking yard. Yeah. And it's loud. And he just looks at me and he goes, okay, now... <laughs> And I fucking just take I take the fifteen thousand, I hand it to him. He stuffs it down his fucking fat pants. Like I remember every detail. Like he had the belly, you know what I mean? Like yeah. just like, like puts it in his pants, like not in his pocket, just in case anybody at the yard sees a bulge in his pocket. Yeah, he fucking stiffs it, puts it down his pants, and he's like, "All right, let's go inside." And business right there was basically done. And what I realized was, is that, you know, when my dad was getting the phone call to come make 20000 on a day, and he was making so much cash, you had to take care of Vern. So my dad probably owed Vern for five stops. You know what I mean? He probably yeah. owed him like a few thousand every time, you know, and, and, every time. And, and he, you can't, you have to be introduced into that paying off a man. You can't just be... No, you don't just fucking. You don't just start doing you it. You don't just start doing it. My dad had been doing it for years. Yeah. He knew the game. They love my dad. Everything in scrap metal was done on a handshake. There's no contracts. Yeah. There's no fucking nothing. There's no paperwork. This was in the day when, you know, is it mobbed up type of thing? Not. It's not like that. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like straight up mob, but like. You know, my dad was very connected in Detroit. He knew a lot of people, and they liked him. And likability is what got him his accounts. And that was my entrance into the scrap metal world. And literally, I I knew how business was done. We drove. I got back in the car. He goes, how'd it go? I said, fine. He took the money. We're good. And he's just, my dad's just like, and that's how it is. He's like, that's how it goes. So if you ever come back, when you you come back for brass, you always take care of Vern. So I knew. God. Damn it. And then, yeah, and then my dad fucking passed away, like, literally, like, four days later. It From the time I heard he had cancer to the time he died was, like, three fucking weeks. It was it was the quickest, shittiest Holy thing shit. you ever saw. Was it, was it, would it have been better if he had been out of shape? Or, like, how would it? Is That's it my just, joke. I said, you know what? If cancer's in your body and it can't get past a fucking brick of cheese, yeah. you're in good shape. But well, my you know, dad was flowing with fucking health. They told that to my dad. My dad's like, I want to lose weight. And his doctor's like, don't. He goes, don't. He goes, you're good. He might have like 220. Yeah. He's not in great shape, but he looks fine in a suit. Yeah. But he's, and he goes, he goes, if you get sick, you want the weight on you. He's like, I swear to God, there's some backwards fucking true philosophy with that. Like, and, and so you, you want to be exercising. You don't want to be overweight and have a guy forbid yeah. have a heart attack. But there's something like my dad was just he was a runner. So when the shit got in his system, it just spread everywhere. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And we were in Vegas gambling like, you know, four weeks earlier. And my dad just didn't look good. He just didn't look right. He looked weak. He looked a little just soft in the neck. You know, I I, kind of could tell something was wrong. He was coughing a little bit. He didn't have his wind. And but he was still being my dad. My dad's funny, you know, gambling. He's like, I lost. The kids can't make. I'm not. Kids ain't going to eat this week in college. Yeah. You know, funny shit. And boom, he fucking just went home and got sick on an airplane. My mom took him to the hospital that next day. Boom. Dead. Mother. Happy comedy. Comedy stories. It's why I'm a comedian, bro. You know, Jeez. life fucking hits you like that. You just go, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Because it wasn't like my dad was pushing me to be in the business. And we kept the business going yeah. after he passed. We kept it going for a long time. That was and his insurance policy. 
yeah it was like teaching you guys how to how to do it hell and yeah don't worry now you can stay alive yeah I, i'm i can go now now you know how to do it yo and my dad was he i mean god bless him he paid everything cash everything my mom's really? got a house uh, one on a lake one in a suburb everything was paid cash and i really? hope the government doesn't come at me now but like <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean the fucking chrysler got me arrested motherfucker <laughs> But that's yeah. that Bill Burr mentality, yeah. dude. They can't take it. Away. He said to me, we were talking, me, him, and Segura were talking about my renovation and how much I owe on it. And Bill's, and Bill's just like, dude, pay it down, pay it down, get it, fucking own it, own it. They can't take it away. You never know. You're gonna say something on stage. They can't take it away from you. Own Yo, it. He's like, I, I got. I don't. I'm not gonna say what Bill's got. But yeah. Bill's like, Bill's one of those guys. Hell yeah. He owns his car. Yeah. You know, like. Yo, my dad was my dad's mentality was like, if you can't afford it, like if you don't have that in the bank, yeah, you shouldn't have it. And that's obviously this whole country is the opposite of that. Everybody lives credited out, owes money everywhere. But my Fuck dad yeah. was all about do not owe anyone anything, pay cash for everything, and he just did. And my, I mean, it was it was amazing because in ninety percent of people, if this would have happened to their family, who the fuck knows what I would have done? I mean, we would have kept the scrap business going, but. You know, it, the business changed. The government came in. They regulated. It wasn't cash anymore. You weren't getting under the table money like that. So, you know, but my that was my that's 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 why I always like cash on me. It's just in my DNA. You're. I feel like I feel like you're you are definitely a product of your father. Hundred like, percent. I, I remember we we were in uh, we were in uh, Atlantic City that one weekend. Hell yeah! And oh, we God. were and we were. Uh, and I remember you were eating like fucking lettuce and chicken and water and putting out water. Yo. And I'm here I am eating fucking twenty wings with shrimp poppers. Yo. And I'm like, Are you are you what's the matter? Are you sick? And you're like, No, I like to stay healthy. And I was like, Wait, that doesn't make sense. Like we're comics. And you were like, No, like I, I got cancer in my family. I like to keep clean. I like to eat clean. Yeah. I live in fear. Yeah. I and, eat out of I eat out of fear, not even enjoyment. But even even when we drink, you're like just tequila. Just tequila. Keep it clean. I told you, Bert. Fucking tequila and broccoli, bro. It's that's my that's been my. That's diet. right. You ate a dickload of broccoli. Yeah, I had the broccoli going. Steam broccoli. God. Dip it in ranch and tequila. That's my. That's what it's. It's what it's in my system. That's it's my am, system is built out. It's amazing the little things you accrue from a friend, and then that becomes your status quo. In like the, where where you go like. Like whenever I like because we were at Hooters that day. Hell yeah, we were. I think your parents were there that time. My parents came. Yeah, my, we all went to a steakhouse across the street. Yep, and all had steaks. It was fucking so much fun. It was that my was dad, great. My dad likes me, but he loves my friends. Yeah, like, he, he likes me. Cool. I think he tolerates me. No. But man, he loves my friends. Like he loves being around comics. He loves being around like fucking fun guys yeah yeah we had fun i remember sitting around the little round table me you butch bradley sebastian sebastian was with us for uh at least one of those cities for yeah. sure ernst was, ernst was ernst with us yeah for that for that for that atlantic city was steve Byrne with us i don't remember i feel uh, like he was because i remember someone we, and i cut brett's uh his uh closing bit music Oh shit! We were like, he was. Brett used to have this uh, the roller skate roller bit? skating bit, and then it, everyone wanted to skate with Tony. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then here comes Tony, and then when he goes, here comes Tony, the music kicks in, and Brett starts skating and dancing. And we told the sound guy he doesn't want the music this time. 
Hilarious. And he was like, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah, he wants to do it without the music. And he goes, and here comes Tony. And then nothing. And he's like, and here comes Tony. <laughs> and we're like dying laughing. We're like, just kidding. Hit the music. That was Atlanta. That was the, that was, where were we? The Tropicana. That place. I mean, I, I, I won't speak. I don't, I think it's closed now. It could be closed, and I don't even know if the dude's alive anymore, so I don't mean names that place don't even was, matter. That place was not mobbed up, but it wanted to be mobbed up. Or maybe it was mobbed up. It was Irish mobbed up. It was really? like some Irish shit going on. Remember, yeah. by, by the third day, we were all scared for our life. Do you remember that fucking bouncer hated my guts? Yeah. That yeah. bouncer hated my fucking guts. Yeah. No, no. You walk through the fucking kitchen. They can walk through the showroom, the headliners. Yeah. You walk through the kitchen. And I was like, Huh? Yo, that's the crazy thing is, like, the danger that happens on the road. Like, there's dangerous and like, moments. And I was oblivious. I was oblivious. I was like, you're a dick. Like, like, a, like do you remember? I was like, that guy's being an asshole. And then they came at the end of the week. The guy, yeah. I don't forget who owned the club, but he goes, uh, he paid us all individually. Yep. I think cash. And then yep. <laughs> he said to me, he goes, um, you're funny. I'd like to have you back. And I said, I'm never coming back here. Hell no. Like, Why? I said, I don't like your bouncer. I go, the guy was a dick to me all week. Like, he would just, I remember he would, like, bully me when we were po- at the end. He's like, you can't drink in here. Or, like, the weirdest shit. And I was like, what am I supposed to drink? And, like, I, this is the bar. The show's over. We're all at the bar. I do remember that guy. It was so, He was such a dick. And then that owner said, so you won't play my club because of one fucking guy. I said, that's how bad of a time I had here. And he went, and he made the guy come in and apologize. Yeah, I remember that. So uncomfortable. I was like, no, I'll definitely never play here. (laughs) You have no idea who I am. I don't like confrontation. (laughs) I don't like fucking confrontation at all. You're freaking me the fuck out. Yo, Chrysler, you are fucking walking irony, bro. You are was, irony. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I am not. I do not make sense on paper or like like people think I'm you, a, I'm this fucking lunatic. But like I <laughs> like last night I bled out a propane tank in my house uh, like an idiot. I just yeah. did, I just was like I I I had brought it in from outside where we have all camping gear, and then Leanne goes, uh, "You got to bleed it out." And so I turn it on. And it starts bleeding out. And then she goes, no, no, you got to take the tank off. And I'm like, oh. So I turn it off. And then I take the tank off. That starts going. And then I open the other thing. So I unleash. And then I'm a fucking mess all night long going up and tickling my daughter's toes to see if they're responsive. Hell yeah. I was freaked the fuck out. I put the cat on the floor to see if the cat died first. Like it was like, oh, my God. But, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, of a what's it, jumbo shrimp? You're a mountain man that could not survive in the mountains. At all. Could, At all. Daddy. <laughs> you could not. I'm the first one that goes, like when Rogan talks about going out hunting, and I go, hold on. Do you sleep on the floor? And he's like, well, yeah, you're not going to carry around. And I'm like, do you just sleep on the floor? I see pictures of those guys hunting. They fucking hunt for real. I wish I could. I want to get into it. Like, I, I think I would. It would be cool to have those moments. I like moments where it's where the sun's up and you're. And you're really doing something fun. Yeah, you're eating beans out of a pot. You're carrying fucking bear legs, bear hindquarters <laughs> yeah. through the fucking up a hill, and you're like, Hur! and there's just and I love that, but I but then part of me is like, I'd be the first dude to cry that shot something. Right. I'd be like, oh. let, let me see my map quest. Where's the closest hotel to this fucking place? <sighs> so wait, how did you get from how did you get from scrap metal Detroit to directing movies in Hollywood? How does that happen? Oh fuck! I well, I, know I mean, comedy, obviously, I know comedy is the is the in the middle, the wingman that got you there fully from comedy. For I mean, as a you know, scrap metal Detroit, 
I always, I was always a fucking class clown, funny kid, super fan of comedy. Yeah. I, I was addicted to comedy as a kid, hooked on television, hooked on like Happy Days type of shit, hooked on old Norman Lear shows. I'd yeah. always sit with my family, watch TV comedies, and in my mind, I swear, I used to think, I'm going to write, like, I, I'm like, I could write this. I used to think I could like guess the dialogue, and I always wanted to be a comedian and a writer. And so after Detroit, you know, left Detroit, whatever, went to college, University of Arizona, I finished school, I was going to drop out after my dad passed, but, and this was like one thing, my dad didn't go to college, but like he had like this, he played football for one year at Arizona State, but he had like this moment where he's like, you're going to finish school, and it was like, he was like dying, and he's telling me to finish school, but it was kind of like, I was kind of thinking that he was just saying it, just because it was the thing to say, (laughs) because my dad kind of didn't give a fuck, he was making cash, Yeah. well did he really want me to go to school, so whatever, I finished school for for my dad. Don't settle down with one woman. (laughs) Yo, he kind of was like that too. (laughs) I mean, my dad was like, he was like, he had his own philosophy, him and his boys, they were like us, me and my boys. Like they're maniacs. Yeah. They were wild. And but so anyway, I go to college and then I just know that after school I'm gonna go into stand up comedy. I go into comedy, I start standing up at the comedy store. Three I remember the day I met you, but we'll get back to that. Well uh standing at the comedy store in line Sunday afternoons, whatever, fucking for three minutes of right comedy. After college? Right after college. Yeah. Move well actually no, after college, I had a girlfriend in college. I li- went to Chicago, lived with her, put all dreams aside, deaded all dreams. I, she must have been a fucking, fucking dime. She was, she was a cutie. She wasn't. I remember my dad was like, she's not that cute. Like my dad knew her. He fucking put her down. He, uh, I went and lived with her for two years in Chicago where I just did odd job shit, you know, taught boxing, did, you know, all kinds of shit. Yeah. And then always in my mind, I'm. Oh, moving. that's right. You can box. I box, yeah. I used to box. Amateur, like, like as a young kid, from like eleven to twenty, I still hit the. I still work out, but I learned how to box when I was young. My two of my uncles were professional fighters, and my dad was friends with Emmanuel Stewart, who used was like a legendary trainer. Yeah. So Detroit, me and my brother took boxing like as a kid, as kids. Fucking what a different lifestyle! I wonder if that even exists anymore because now it feels like Detroit's filled with hipsters looking to start their own donut shop. <laughs> totally. But it's like that <laughs> totally. that childhood. Where you're like, especially with concussion protocols, like no one, no dad's like, you're 11, you gotta learn how to fucking fight. Oh my god, I have, I've had a concussion for 40 years. I've literally been concussed <laughs> my entire life. If people are talking about concussions, I've had one my whole life. So I go, I, start, I do stand up comedy. Boom, I, I do the comedy route. I do comedy store three minutes. Mitzi sees me, I'm in. You know, I'm doing the short version, but. You know, I get, I start going on the road. Rogan, one of the first dudes ever to fucking see me and come up to me and go, dude, I really dig your stuff. Um, you want to go on the road? I was like, the road, fucking, that's I, I won. That's yeah. the dream. Rogan takes me on the road. We go on the road for a year. All like the best, sickest venues. And this is before he's blowing up on the UFC stuff. He's Fear Factor, Joe. You know, oh, and so God, yeah. we're still, he's still packing all the houses. Fucking. I bet there were sick women showing up. Kreischer. Just. I fucked in every building in America. <laughs> I didn't even go to my hotel. It was stupid shit was going on. Fuck. It was rock and roll, man. Like every city. I mean, because, listen, the dream was to be a comedian and a writer, but in the dream was let me get some pussy like a rock star. Let me go live this life and see what this is about. And I did it. And, yeah. and God bless Joe for taking me because... We I we had I I mean I had a girl that I 
to this day, I still keep in touch with girls in fucking Houston, Atlanta. God. They got six kids. And this is the, for those of you who don't know, this is the heyday of when the improv started opening up everywhere. There was 23 improvs and we did all of this them. This is the – like, so if you're a comedy historian, uh, comedy blew up in the 80s and then it died. And then us fucking lunatics – and and I, I, I say that like, like the fucking first people that discovered – there was gold in San Francisco. Yeah. We decided to get into comedy when it was at its lowest. Like, no fucking clubs. Because we it, didn't know. You got, you, we had, you, honestly, I'm not even fucking around. I mean, I mean, you had clubs like the Laugh Stop. There were clubs out there. But there was, it wasn't like, like it was in the 80s where they're in every shopping mall and every comic was making $180,000 doing nothing. Totally. Like, and every comic, comics were making like millions just doing the road in the 80s. And so we started, there was a cellar, there was Stand Up New York, there was fucking Comic Strip, there was the store, there was the Improv in LA, there was the Laugh Factory, there was the Ice House. But then in like, in like I want to stay in like 99, or like probably, probably it's probably earlier than that, probably 95, but like yeah. they, Robert Hartman started opening Improvs yep. and, and uh, Funny Bones everywhere. And we showed up as like young kids, and you would hook up with a dude like like Rogan or Jay Moore, and they would have a calendar that was like you're Fuck. performing. I remember when I st- first started working with Jay, he said, "Take." A, he was getting ready to go on stage. He goes, "You're my new guy. I mean, you're gonna be my feature. Uh, take a look at my calendar. Whatever date you want to be on, you're on." And he walked away. And I was like, I was like, cool. In my head, I was like, I guess I'll, I'll like see what he's doing next week. And Walter Gauze, who was Jay's best friend at the time, uh, and one of my really close friends to d- still, Walter looked at me and he goes, he's like, B, that just changed your life. And I was like, what? And he was like, you got to look, take a look at his calendar for a second while we're on. Go look at his calendar. That just changed bang, your life. Bang, bang, and bang, I was like, bang. I looked and I was like, wait, is it greedy if I ask for all forty-eight dates? Like, is that, and I was like, I'll, I'll do all of them. And he was like, okay, cool. See you in Vegas next week. And you were like, you were like, what the fuck? And that, and and then that was your introduction. We were also the guys that got introduced to all the clubs. And so it it was was, a great time. And they were all sold out. And there was a lot of people that I don't, I would, I'd venture to say there was a lot of people at the time who were, there was a new club in town, the improv. I can see the guy from action or, 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 uh, or fucking fear factor or, um, what uh, what was the sitcom Joe was on that I loved so much? News radio. News radio. I could see them live. They yeah. do stand up. Yeah. Shut up. And it was everything was sold out. Yeah. It was David Tell. This is David Tell's headlining. He's on. He's on. Uh, on uh, up late at night. Whatever that was. Yeah. Insomniac. Insomniac. Yeah. Dave Chappelle's headlining these clubs. Yeah. There's no theater tour. Live Nation has no footing in it at this moment. Right. And Regan. Fuck. I remember hearing something like. I remember hearing someone talk about Brian Regan's quote at the time yeah. and going, I would love to get that. I mean, I, I remember thinking, and now I'm making probably, I'm probably, probably making double that. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm like, I would love to get that. It was a fucking really interesting time. Yeah. You couldn't believe you were getting paid to do this. In my mind, I was mentally poor. Like I was coming out of Detroit, yeah. scrap metal, the whole thing. I'm like, you're paying me. To go do what I fucking love, and there was this no, is weird. I felt like I told Rogan one time on the in Atlanta, I was like, "Bro, I feel like jerking you off." Just say the word. <laughs> I mean, this is too good to be true. I really felt like that. It was a really interesting uh, time, and there was also no corporate uh, like bylaws about fucking the staff. No laws. So, I only got told no once. <laughs> got, so like, there would be like, fuck it. I mean, it was just like fucking chaos. bylaws. 
Holy God, just you saying that. <clears throat> this is also this is also leading probably probably directly leading to the demise of guys like Greg Giraldo because I mean, guys in the staff at this time, you'd be headlining, they'd, they'd see you on Comedy Central, they'd love you, and they'd be like, hey, they'd come into the green room and be like, hey, can I get you anything like Coke or weed? And you'd be like, like now it's so corporate. Right. You can't even, you can't even drink with the staff. Like, right. You go to, I went to Omaha and they were like, and they were like, bye, and they all left. And fucking, and by the way, Brian Regan and Pete Corelli are coming to party with me afterwards, and the whole staff's like, fuck, man, we want to hang out with Brian Regan. And I was like, you can't. And they're like, we have to leave right now. Like, that's the law for them yeah and we were like oh sorry no it was a good time to start directing movies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if the staff's not sleeping around yeah. i'm out yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean you just you saying that like i remember i got a call from the guy who owned that houston laugh stop that uh, pre pirelli yeah 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 he calls me he goes bro you gotta quit fucking the staff you yeah. gotta just stop because oh. like there was like some smoking hot waitress every time i went to houston she'd come over to the hotel and it was like that is part. That was part of my dream. I'm not making excuses yeah. for it. You know why? Maybe that's why I'm still single because I went too wild. But that was I was living the dream fully. Oh, and my dream was my dream was the fucking late night partying. Yeah, and, and that you're the Houston king of that. Stop, laugh stop, right? Not yeah, spot laugh stop. Stop. Houston laugh stop for once again a comedy historian. That is where Mitch Hedberg did his special. Kinnison, Kinnison came out of there. Kinnison came out. Bill Hicks Bill came Hicks out of there. Came out of there. Um, Stanhope, Ron White, like all the fucking all the greats. Yeah. did this club. Attell, you'd go to look at the thing, and it was all like Tom Rhodes, all the guys you respected and admired in this business. Yeah, especially from my perspective, guys that really like to party and get down and get weird. All their fucking faces were all over the walls. Absolutely, and you were like, I'm one of them. Hell yeah, man, that was like a. You're like, I'm one of them. Yo, it's the only fraternity I've ever felt comfortable in. It's the only group right? that, like, I ever felt like, yeah, it's like a weird thing. I remember, like, a warmth. When I decided I was going to be a comedian, this peacefulness came over me, and I was like, live or die, rich or poor, this is the game I'm in. And so just to get back on the story, I did the road for a long time, and I create, I did the Young American Comedy Tour that you were on and Sebastian, and you know, I just I created Ian that Edwards, out of Butch Bradley, Butch Bradley, Tony Rock, and we ran that for a few years, and I just I kept doing it, but I was always I was always in the room writing, I was always writing scripts, and I was always trying to come up with like my own original ideas, and I was always pitching shows, and in my mind, like the first development deal I ever got, I went in, I didn't, nobody told me how this game worked, right? So I didn't know that they're going to find you something, and they have writers of their own, that they don't want to know what your idea is. You gave them 15 grand, and you're like, put on the hard hat and the goggles. I would have <laughs> I would have done that 100%, but instead I brought 10 scripts into the first meeting oh, of the up. same script my of what I thought was my own sitcom. So I had this deal with Warner Brothers or whatever, and they and they and you have a meeting with everybody. They go, do you have any ideas just to appease me? Because they didn't give a fuck. Yeah. They're like, do you have any ideas of shows for yourself? I go, funny you should mention it. Here's a script for everybody. Fuck. This is the show I see myself in. And I remember I left, and my manager at the time was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> don't ever do that again. Yeah. These people don't want to read your shit. They, they have writers. The the greatest thing is if you got no idea. If you got no idea and they're like, okay, great. We got because we got one. Right. It fits you. 
Right. And now cut to, you know, 12 years after that moment, you know, I am writing for other people and I'm directing stuff. So I don't give a, I don't play by the rules. You don't either. Yeah. I never have played by the rules. I don't give a fuck. Like my, my, my mentality is like if something's good and you think it should get done, do whatever you got to do to try to get that done. Just get it made. I don't, there's too many rules and politics. I don't, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. So... The way the writing, you know, you asked me about the writing, directing, how it came about was stand up, stand up, stand up. I'm doing it. And I I write a script. I write a spec script about Detroit in the 70s. I write this thing based on my dad, whatever, whatever. A couple, I give it to a couple production companies. A couple dudes read it. One guy who's got some connections in Detroit reads it, thinks it's amazing. And long story short... I get a phone call. I, I mean, this is how it started. My first like produced gig. I wrote a movie called Grounded that Aaron Paul and Jeff Daniels star in. Yeah, and they it, it Grounded actually they shot it before I did my next two movies. So that's how fucked up this business is. It's taken that long for this movie to get out. Yeah, but anyway, I get a phone call from a guy in Detroit who's connected. Who's uh, It's based on a true story Kid has a tragic accident He writes a journal about his life It's one of the funniest fucking journals I've ever read You'd love it So I get a call from the kid Who the story's based on And he tells me that Dan Gilbert Owner of the Cavaliers and Quicken Loans Billionaire, Detroit legend yeah. He's going to produce this movie He's going to finance it Dan and he, Gilbert has a house in LA if I'm not mistaken Gary Gilbert does, his brother I've been to Gary Gilbert's house When we do the photo shoot no, or no, you've that been was to Gary's Leo's. House. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. I, I've been to Gary Gilbert's house uh, when I, my best friend, one of my best friends growing up, who's a writer, mm-hmm. is his sister, his wife, her sister's married to Gary Gilbert, I think, or it's like that. Oh yeah, or something yeah. like that. But so we, we went out there. He goes, "Hey, come visit me. I'm in town. I'm staying at a friend's house." And we went to his house. It's fun. And we took pictures. Like we were like, "Kids, line up, get around." <laughs> it's an amazing house. It's fucking amazing. So Gary is a film producer. He is Dan Gilbert's brother. Gary physically produced the movie. Dan financed the movie. So I get a phone call. Dan Gilbert gets on the phone. You know, we have a conference call. I, you know, I give him my take on the movie. I basically pitch him. I say, this is Little Miss Sunshine in a wheelchair. This is how I see this movie. Dan's like, I'm going to fly you to Detroit, and which is my home. He fly. I go to Detroit. I meet with Dan Gilbert. I'd always heard about him. I, he's a legend. I'd already knew about him. I'd never met him, though. And we're from, like, the same neighborhood, but he's, like, from, like, the nicer area of the neighborhood. And we start talking, and it's, like, two hours later, I know all his, like, little, like, his friends, little brothers and sisters, and we're talking about who the hottest, and he's a real dude, you know, even though he's a billionaire, yeah. he's, like, a real dude. He's, yeah. like, you know, did you get the pussy on Glenmore when you live there? <laughs> you know, he's fucking one of us. So by the end of the meeting, he's, like, on a handshake deal, he's, like, I'll call your lawyer Monday. I'm hiring you to write the movie. I wrote the movie. They love the script, and they went out, and they made this movie called Grounded and we hired Aaron Paul to play the kid in the wheelchair Adam and and uh, and Jeff Daniels plays a version of Dan who was this kid's boss and uh, Tom Berenger's in the movie Tom really? Sizemore it's coming out in like eight months it's going to be coming out after all the other shit I did it just took forever yeah. it got caught up in some legal stuff and whatever whatever happened the movie will be out Yeah, and so that was my first foray into writing i got in the writers guild from it it was a movie produced 
after that movie i i worked uh i had been friends with like doug allen from entourage for years and that's an interesting connection in your life yeah is that, that that's a, like a by the way that's a i, I want to say it's like a totally separate story but like you have a weird group of celebrity friends that are like kind of unmatched anywhere in the world yeah like you have like a fucking like uh you were naked the, at, you were naked at leo's house yeah I mean, we went to leonardo DiCaprio's house to do a photo shoot and your buddy who shot those photos i've been following him i think he's like he, he's a real photographer yeah peter been, yeah and i was yeah like I, I i was like oh this guy's like a legit photographer he shot it on some like 1930s camera yeah meanwhile we're shooting our promos for the Young American Comedy Tour. We're at Leo's house. Chrysler, first thing he does is drops Trowie's butt-ass naked at Leo's pool with yeah. nine of us. My goal is Leonardo DiCaprio walk in, see yeah. me naked, and go, this is the kind of guy I need to hang out with. Absolutely. And then I leave my wife and kids. <laughs> your whole, thank God he wasn't in town because your whole life would be different right now. Oh, fuck yeah. It'd oh, be all fucked up. No, I'd be laying, I'd be laying in an, I'd create an opium den in that. There was like, he had this like under- in wall grotto of some yeah. sort, yeah. That, like on the cliff that yeah. you could sit in to meditate to overlook Hollywood. Yeah. It was one of the coolest fucking houses I've ever been to. Yeah, no, he's got a great house. So, so next movie comes along and it's through a connection. I met all those guys from playing basketball. That's truly how I met Leo. Everybody, I was in a basketball league. 15 years ago when I when I got to LA, you know, if I was in LA for a few years, I got into a basketball league through a mutual friend and they needed a fifth dude and my team was fucking it was Leo, Kevin Connolly, Nick Cassavetes, Lucas Haas and just this group of fucking Hollywood dudes and I could play ball, so they liked me on the team. Yeah. But the funny shit was, I was still like intimidated. Like I played cool. Like I played it cool. Like good to meet you guys. Yeah. But I'm sitting back, going, I'm fucking from Detroit. You know what I mean? Yeah. This motherfucker was just screaming on a boat in Titanic. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, three years ago. Yeah. He's the biggest star in the world, but he is the coolest dude. He is a super nice, super cool dude. So that's how I meet all those guys. And in that league is it, Doug Ellen is the creator of entourage before he did entourage he's playing ball with us so we became we all became friends a good group of us so cut to years later doug gets after doug does entourage and we're good friends he gets a phone call from like these rich dudes out of new york like really good dudes but wealthy like hedge fund guys they're like doug we want to hire you to write a movie doug's like i cost a hundred thousand dollars or one hundred fifty thousand to even write a script yeah. so you should call my friend Mike Young, who's just as funny and a lot cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so literally, I get a phone call from these dudes out of New York, and they're like, hey, man, we're thinking about getting in the business. Doug Allen says we should call you and that you're a great writer and that you you know, you know know comedy and we want to talk to you. They literally, they fly to L.A. I go to a fucking fact. I meet them at Factors Deli. They're sitting across from me at a table at Factors Deli. They start telling me stories about their lives and their wives and... They just say a couple hook, hook themes to me, and they don't really have an idea yet. So I, I said, listen, I definitely want to do this. Obviously, I needed the money, yeah, and I want to do it anyway because my dream is to keep writing movies and directing eventually. And so they, they tell me their ideas. I said, you know what? Give me a minute. I said, give me two weeks. I'll come back to you with an idea. 
Two weeks later, I come back with a, with my man as a loser that ended up with Stamos and Michael Rappaport. I come back to him. I say, how about, because I was single. They're married. I said, how about two married dudes that are clueless in their marriage and they need their boy to help them get their swagger back to reconnect with their wives? Yeah. Simple theme concept. You know, it's, it's not the first time it's ever been done. But I had a good take on it because all my married friends were fucked up and they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to live. Do you remember the you time I, mean? I called you from a plane? I was like, I yeah. met this chick on the plane. <laughs> yeah. She wants to fuck. Chrysler? I can't do it. Mike, I gave you your number. <laughs> and things happen, by the way. I by the know. way, I love you for that. I was the best. That's how fucking cool Chrysler is. He calls me from an airplane. I'm like, this is too good to be true. He's like, I'm sitting next to a hot Indian chick. I don't know what's going to happen, but she's fucking horny, and she's basically asking to get down. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm as single as can be, and I have no yeah. racism in me. So fucking send her my way. Is, and you did. And your story was, we went, we had a shot at tequila. She's like, you want to get out of here and go to my house? And you're like, let's do it. <laughs> Came to my house, fucking gave me head. I never talked to her again. I have oh. no idea who she is. It was the, that was great. I felt like she was like plotting to kill me. It was an, it was an angel. It was a literally Chrysler sent angel. So, so I write, so I pitch them in the idea. They say, okay, call my lawyer. They make a deal, legit deal with the yeah. Writers Guild. And next thing I know, they're actively looking for a director. You know, so I have the movie. I wrote my man as a loser. They're going to make the movie. And I can't believe that this is happening. Like at the time I'm going, who the fuck has, it's, they're going to pay, they're going to, it's going to, it's a $5 million movie. Yeah. Who the fuck's got $5 million and is really going to make a movie? So it's like a, a crazy blessing, and I, I thank Doug Allen all the time for this because he really put me on this directing path from this movie. So I write the movie. They love it. They're actively looking for a director at the time. I call the guys, the producers. I go, fellas, I swear to God, I trust 100% I can direct this movie. I've never directed anything. I can't even fucking work a camera. I'm not even kidding. I can't even take a picture. I can't see. <laughs> So I go, 100%, I can do this. Because I was reading books online. I was reading about like Barry Levinson, Woody Allen, all these dudes that started as stand-ups and their transition in, into directing and writing. So they, I knew what they were doing. I knew it was all about rhythm, pacing, timing. And if you could, you know, if you understood the story and the jokes, you were okay. So yeah. I said, if I get a good DP, I can do this. And they fully agreed. And next thing I know, they signed me up to direct the movie. And now I'm fucking writing and directing a $5 million movie for my first directorial piece. And all of a sudden, it's like game. I can't believe it. And like money is like coming into my account because I'm on like a payroll from them. Yeah. I've never seen this automatic money. I don't get – it was the first wiring – of my life you yeah know I mean? like i'm like you're telling me if i give you these numbers the money is going to go into my bank and i i don't have to do anything oh. i don't even trust wiring like i don't trust wiring money yeah every week they're fucking paying me and i got you know my deals worked out for my lawyer and it's all good and next thing i know now we're starting to cast the movie and you know i don't want to bore you with like all the casting but like my dream brain i had you know Michael Rappaport for because I've always He's been a so fan, f dude. I, when did you discover Michael Rappaport? Shit, I knew about Rappaport when I was when I saw Zebrahead when I was in Detroit and I was seventeen years old or nine, eighteen yeah. years old and I knew about Zebrahead. I was already a fan. Yeah, and then True Romance, I was a fucking fan. True Romance, you True Romance I mean? is where I where I think I fell in love with him. Where I was like, or I I think I'd seen him in the uh, the in the Ice Cube movie. About higher high, learning, high, I'd seen him in higher learning. I don't know if that was before or after. I'd seen him in that. I think I'd seen Zebrahead. Um, but I, when I saw True Romance, I was oh, yeah. like, 
I was like, this guy's fucking amazing. He's amazing. Like, he has this ability to to translate like vulnerability totally so well. And I was like, in my head, I was like, that's the kind of actor I'd be totally. So, I, I said to myself, I'll be either that guy or the guy that smokes pot. Yeah, Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'll be one of those guys. I was like, well, that's Brad Pitt. Oh, you're, never mind. You're only 31 pounds from Brad Pitt <laughs> and a good shave. Uh, but yeah, Michael Rappaport. I was a fan, and I, I just, I, I was always a fan of his, and and uh, Copland and Copland. Uh, he was fucking him. Unbelievable. He's so great in everything. Everything. He brings sensitivity, vulnerability, and comedy and darkness. He plays it like he. He was the perfect guy for this role. Yeah. So I had met him, but he didn't remember. I, and I was, I started, I, 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 I got a hold of his manager. I knew who his manager was. I was calling his manager saying, we're going to make an offer to Michael Rappaport, but I need, I want to go have lunch with him because maybe he remembers me from uh, adult entertainment league basketball. Cause I did, I played with him for a year. Yeah. So he didn't remember my name. So I hound his manager, and I get Rappaport to meet me for lunch, and he's like on a juice cleanse at the time. Uh, so it's so Hollywood, but we meet at a juice place. God. And he sees me, and right away he's like, oh, shit, what up? Like, I, I, I forgot your name, but he's like, my manager's like, you got to meet Mike Young. Like, you got to meet Mike Young. And he, and he says this to me. He goes, I mean, he goes, I'm thinking, who the fuck is Mike Young? He's like, <laughs> yeah. the, you ain't fucking Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Who the fuck is Mike Young that I got to meet? Anyway, we have lunch. We hit it off. I said, bro, we're going to make you an offer. Obviously, you don't have to audition. I wrote this part for you. And and if he said yes, I was going to go back in and even make it more f- towards him. Yeah. Locked up Rappaport. Next thing I did, you know, we had two more main roles to cast. So, you know, the the, the next two leads are, are end up being Stamos and Brian Callen, our fucking boy from comedy. Yeah. So Callen, I'll tell you how I get Callen. You know, I can't even get Callan on this podcast. <laughs> you can, I can't even get Callan. He forgot he did the movie. <laughs> I, he's fucking out of his mind. So we're I'm opening for Callan, right? I'm I'm featuring for Callan in Miami. I already know I'm directing a movie. I'm keeping it low. I'm not like bragging. I'm not yeah. I'm keeping. I'm not really telling that many people yet. But the more time I spend with Callan, I'm thinking, Jesus, he is fucking perfect for this role. For this dude I have. So we're at coffee in the morning. I go, Brian, this is going to sound really weird. But I'm I'm doing a movie. I'm directing a movie, a $5 million movie. He's like, shut the fuck up. Nobody has fun. What are you talking about? Okay, okay, whatever. <laughs> I said, I'm not kidding, bro. We're going to make this movie. You're perfect for this role. He's like, send me the script. Let's, let's send me the script. I'll read it tonight. Yeah. And we're at the coffee shop in, in uh, at, the, at the Miami Improv, you know, in Coconut Grove. Yep. So... Callan, and in the in the middle of all that, he introduced me to some hot girl who's like an heir to a throne somewhere. It was the best weekend ever. I fucking I slept with an heir, an heiress. <laughs> anyway, Callan reads the script that night. Are we okay on battery? No, no, we're totally fine. Uh, yeah, I keep looking at the battery, making sure, but we're yeah. completely fine. Cool. So I tell so Callan reads the script, and he comes to me the next morning. He goes, "Dude, this fucking script is great." He's yeah. like, "I love this role." He's like, "I'll put myself on tape. I'll do this. I'll do that." I said, "Bry." You got the part, bro. I'm the director. I'm like, unless they say no to you, you got it. So next thing I know, boom, we've got call the producers. They call his manager and agent. They make his deal. Now I got Callan and Rappaport. And now it's time to cast like the lead single dude. Yeah. And so we talked about like Jane, you know, and I don't, I'm not, I hadn't been directing at all. So I could only name fucking eight actors. I don't know all the actors in the world. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Even to this day, people are like, who do you see in this role? I'm like, bro, I, I don't know. You like Rudy? 
<laughs> totally. I don't know who the fuck is who. <clears throat> so now I'm meeting all the dudes for the single role. And I meet a lot of funny dudes. Um, what's his name? Tony Tony Hale from Veep. Oh yeah. He's yeah, yeah. awesome. We have lunch together and he you know, he wants it and he's hilarious, but you know, he wasn't like the single dude that I saw for this. Uh James Marsden, who's like a super stud dude. I've seen that guy. What's he in? Marsden was in the notebook, I think. I he wasn't got there was gossip. I think bad if I was like, Oh, I love that movie. Marsden <laughs> was in like one of those like the X Men movies. I he's a guy him. with I, the I eyes. I know who he is. I think I saw him shirtless the other day and I was like God, that's a fucking stud. Wait, it's I, probably him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's a stud. He's a triple threat. The guy can sing, act, dance. I'll clip. tell you where I saw him in. I, I'm just, I'm bad at that. I'm the same way. That's why I couldn't. Well, he's the first Marsden or first James. Oh, dude, dude, yeah. dude. He's in fucking. He's in fucking. Is he in? Is he in fucking? Uh, X Men? No, Westworld. He's a yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. Westworld. He's in Westworld. I saw him naked last night. Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. He's fucking awesome. Dude's awesome. Like, like badass actor. Oh shit. Yeah. So so he By the actually way, James Martin. Someone sent get that clip for him and make that his new ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> Send it to him as a ringtone. Hey, James Martin. Oh my god, he's in Westworld, and that, that's how it calls me. And by the way, he's a total nice guy, stud dude, right? So I'm thinking Marsden should should be the God guy. Damn it! Yeah, yeah. He's, he's uncomfortably good looking. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I can only talk to Marsden for like thirty seconds straight. So anyway, so I'm thinking James Marsden. So we go like the Hollywood bullshit route, and we call Marsden's agent, and we make it. We say we got a role, and blah blah blah. They're obviously thinking he's off to do bigger things, which he obviously has done major things, but. The bottom line is Marsden never even got the script. So his agent called and said he passed. I see James Marsden like two weeks later at a party. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, because they're like the, his agent said, uh, said, yeah, Marsden, he finally totally read the script. It's just not for him. I see Mars. I'm like, hey, bro, too bad. You know, my name's Mike Young. I'm, I wrote that script. Uh, my man is a loser. I wrote it. You know, it would have been great to have you, something like that. He's like. I don't even know what you're talking about. He's like, my agents, my agents never gave me that script. So I was like, fuck your agents, bro. So they never even got it to him. Not that yeah. he would have done it, but that's how the game works. Like, they literally, he never even heard of the movie. Anyway, we start looking for other guys. And my producers keep going, we love John Stamos. And our wives love John Stamos. And every girl on the planet loves, loves John, John Stamos. Stamos. I said, you know what? I love John Stamos. So because I knew Saget. I've worked on the road with Bob Saget oh, for, right. for yeah. a long time. Um, I, I called Saget. I said, hey, man, I'm doing a movie. Would you get the script to Stamos? Long story short, they get the, he gets it to Stamos. I said, if he likes it, we're going to make him an offer. 100% we're going to make it. And so they get it to Stamos, and he wants to have lunch with me at the Newsroom Cafe on, on Robertson. It's been closed for like a year now. But so I go to the Newsroom Cafe. I Here comes fucking Stamos. You know what I mean? He doesn't even look right on Earth. You know what I mean? He, he looks like he's in a movie at all times. I he's got the him, sunglasses. I, think I saw him at Sirius XM one time or walked by him and I was like, fuck, he smells great. He smells amazing. Like those, Always clean. Those guys, you're like, you don't look real. No. Like, where are your flaws? No, he's dipped in fucking caramel. You know what I mean? He's just God, like, damn it. no flaws. It's weird. So he walks into the newsroom. Here comes John Stamos, perfect hair, sunglasses. And he sits down. He's like, dude, I fucking love this script. He's like, that part is for me. He's like, I've been looking for a part like this. Where do you come? He doesn't know me. He's like, where the fuck do you come from? Yeah. I said, I come from the world of stand-up comedy. He's like, I love the jokes. Da, da, da. 
after lunch, I basically was like, this is the dude. Because we started talking about single experiences. Is he, now, is he, he's out of the relationship with the record? Yeah, man. at this point, he's divorced. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's, okay. he's been divorced for a few years now, so he's back in the single game. And obviously, my our fun single life comedy on the road and all the rock and roll shit I talk, that's one level. This motherfucker has had a level of singlehood oh. that I can't live. You know that, like, I mean? I'm like, not how that did you com- dodge AIDS singlehood? Literally. Yeah. Like, I'm not that comfortable naked type of life. Like, you're this motherfucker lives naked. You know what I mean? Like, there's three girls at the house. There's one in a jacuzzi that's on pills. There's one that's hanging oh, in a hammock. Fuck. At all times, he's surrounded by pussy at this point. So, and I'm not blowing up your spot, John, if you listen. You know what I mean? Like, relax. Because he'll be like, how could you say that? John, John, he is blowing up your spot. Come defend yourself. Come on my podcast. Yeah, for Hit me sure. up on Twitter, at Bird Kreischer. <laughs> yeah. Watch my, watch, my, watch, my comedy, watch my Showtime special at November 11th at 10 p.m. <laughs> Yo, you'll love it. Kreischer's the man. You'll fit into the man cave perfectly. So after meeting Stamos, we, we lock up Stamos, and he's yeah. in. And, he's, and he tells me the stories about being single. And I knew he was the guy because his philosophy on single was whacked out. He's like, yeah, you know, like if you're dating a girl, you just you got to get the threesome out of the way. You got to get the threesome out of the way. What the fuck does that mean? You got to like have two girls with you just to make sure the one that he's all fucked up. His his the way he thinks is it was different, but he was perfect for the most to play the most single dude in the world. Fuck yes, he is. So we lock up Stamos. And boom, we are. Callan, Callan would be a good. Although Callan's married, but Callan was he's like the best a, single person in the world. He was one he's of the most. It, like I only, I, I've only know, I only know Brian uh, just in passing, and like seeing each other at like a, at like did a podcast together, and you know, same way I met Joey. But like Brian and I live very, he's very different life. Joey lives around the corner to me. Yeah. And so and I know I know Brennan and and I, but. I, I remember hearing stories about Callan, and not, not to blow up Callan's spot, but like you'd hear folklore stories about Callan single, yeah, and like the type of girls he'd get. Oh yeah, and you'd just be like, I'd be like, this guy's real. Is he fucking real? Like I, I would be like, he's real. Ah oh, yeah, he's, he's real. One of the, I told Rogan the other night. I go, dude, he's making me laugh so hard right now. Listening to Fighter and the Kid, like just him and these commercials and like what they're doing on Facebook Live, and I was like, I I just told Rogan, I said, he's making me laugh so fucking hard right now. Callan, well, that's why we hired him because I said, you know, Callan is like the funny shit about Callan is he is a good, he's a great actor. Yeah, and he was taking it seriously, like, and he was getting real serious with me. He's like, should I do it for my character? I said, Brian, I gotta be honest with you, bro, on this one. I said. We're hiring you because you are the funniest fucking person I know yeah. in regular life. I said, just put Callan into this role. Like, be your irreverent, ridiculous fucking self, and you're good. Yeah. You know, because every day on set, he'd say some different shit. What if, is my motivation to walk to the window? <laughs> Brian, you don't have motivation. Just yeah. be funny and be you and be real, and I promise you're going to kill it. And so, yeah, so Brian Callen fucking killed it. And I gave him, yeah, it was like his first really leading role in a movie. And so now we had our three leads. And then we shot this thing in New York. So we had our, I got my three leads, Callen, Stamos, Rappaport, out of Los Angeles. And then we headed to New York for production. And then we started casting everybody. And it was just like this amazing train that once you start, when you're writing and directing a movie, it's a train that does not fucking stop. And your brain is fucking, you're in a zone because, you know, if there's 150 people that work on a movie, you're, 
you got to answer every question. What color should his shirt be? Should he have buttons on? What painting oh, should hang in the back? Every, every department has to reports to you. So oh, it's fuck. fucking bananas. I mean, by the end of the movie, I looked homeless. I was down 30 pounds. The fucking my, my dry face was at another level. <laughs> I was fucked up. But it worked out. And it worked out great. And I just, you know, I I read a bunch of books on directing, which is ridiculous. I went and I shadowed a couple friends that were directors before the movie. I went and, like, watched them and just – I knew I was never going to learn the technical aspect of directing in yeah. fucking in, – in six weeks. Yeah. So I just learned, like, coverage, angles – what shots I like. I watched a ton of movies of people I love, all the Woody Allen shit I liked. I watched movies that were like tonally similar to what I had written. And I just kind of gave myself a quick schooling on how to direct. And boom, we headed to New York and fucking started casting. You know, and I'm reading actors and it's fucking whack, man. It's weird going from, you know, because comedians, we beg for shit. Actors, we usually, you know, beg for shit. And now I'm on the other side, and it's like, now I'm the boss of this thing. And it was a really weird mentality for me because I wanted to just give everybody a fucking job. Like, literally, I'm not, yeah. I'm too sensitive to be like a real oh, I couldn't boss. Do that. But, you know. Every first day, and they'd be like, hey, did you hire three uh, Johns? Johns? And I, <laughs> I did. Yeah. I did. I, I'm sorry about that. You guys just go tell two of them that you don't like. To leave, and Yo, then we'll keep boys you when you like. Kreischer, I'm with you, man. I'm like, yeah. I'm sensitive like that, and everybody's good. Like, you go to New York and you start like looking at actors. These guys are like off Broadway and yeah. they're on Broadway, and these are like real deal. And so everybody that came in and read for the movie was fucking awesome. And so it was like just this amazing whirlwind that was happening, and boom, we went and we shot the movie. You know, we shot it all over New York City. My first feature directing. That's a tough town to shoot in, too. It was bananas. But we had our line producer Vince Maggio, who was like, you know, he's got the unions in his pocket. He's yeah. all connected. He shot thirty movies there before. So when you got a guy like that that That's runs your you shit, need. you have to have that. We went. We, you we, can't we, shoot without. We just it. shot TV. We would hire a fixer. Like I think we'd hire like two fixers mm-hmm. to just be like, listen, uh, you can't park over here. We're going to drop you off. Jump out with your gear. We'll circle. We'll be back to pick you up when you're done. Okay, we can park here if you want to set up. Like it was, it was, It's just complicated. It is. And you need guys like that because it, it kind of like sets up the dynamic where it's almost like this gang, like these like the trucking unions and the transportation unions. They kind of run the whole fucking business. Yeah. We're not doing anything without them. Like, we can't even get our equipment out of a truck unless they say so. Yeah. So here we are in Hollywood thinking, like, we're hot shit. We don't get anything without the fucking union guys. Oh, no, no. Nothing. Yeah, right. You know, they'll fucking put up a blow-up rat in front of your set. You know what I mean? A giant yeah. rat that's like a, a big cartoon. So it was. It, it went great, man. And it was like a dream come true because I always dreamed that I would one day direct and write. And, like, my dream was, like, coming true. And, you know, it's never perfect because there's a thousand moving pieces, but we shot My Man is a Loser and we and Lionsgate bought it, like this big company, you know, which was like another dream come true. Yeah. And, you know, do you have the, you know, when, it, when you're done with your movie and you're in editing and you're making your movie and as the director, you know, you're still, you're not the boss. You are the boss on set. You're the boss. Da, da, da. But when the end result comes out, it is the guys that pay you the money 
They are the boss. So they yeah. can come down, whether they have experience in movies or not, they can come down and say, you should have changed, you've got to change this, let's cut this. Let's... So you have your war. You go to war when it's over. You've got to have little wars. And I always say, like, I'm 79, 81% happy with the way the movie turned out, you yeah. know? And you're never 100% happy, but it turned out great. And we fucking sold the movie to Lionsgate, and it's been out now for a few years, and it uh, it was in theaters, and it, it killed it on iTunes, like that whole iTunes world. Yeah. And it was just pretty and amazing. And, and I, I'm not always like good at like accepting, you know, praise because I'm just I don't yeah. know why. I gotta see a therapist for a while to figure out why I don't accept love the way I should. Ooh, but like I was interesting. I, I talked about that today. You know what I mean. Like, we don't, we don't feel like we just, I don't know what it is. I'll figure that out on another podcast. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but whatever it was, I wasn't able, you know, I was getting a lot of love, a lot of love. Stamos was on every talk show talking about the movie and every radio station talking about the movie. And Callan was on everything talking and Rappaport. They were all like out there talking about it. And, you know, it was just like a beautiful love fest. And I was, you know, I was still in like work mode, so I wasn't able to fully enjoy the moment. But, you know, we had a big movie premiere in fucking New York City. The whole thing, you know, all the actors were there. A, a 500 people in a theater watching the movie. And it went great, man. And then the, and the movie came out. And it's, it's, at this point, it's like over 2 million downloads of a movie. Wow. Which, you know, at $6, whatever that is, $12 million. I don't know what it is. But, you know, my guys, it takes a long time to get paid back on a movie. Yeah. But it's been a re- it, it, it's amazing. And then from that movie, these fucking you know, I don't, it's not going to be a Mike Young brag fest. But like at that movie premiere, were two investors that I did not know were at my movie premiere, and they loved the movie. And after the movie, they came up and they were like, "We love your movie. We make comedies. We want to talk to you." And I swear to God, two weeks later, I got a phone call. And it was from a friend of mine who knew those guys. And he's like, Mike, you're not going to believe this. These guys want to make a movie with you. Shut he's up. like, do you got anything? And next thing I know, I'm, I got the freedom to do a stand-up guy. And so I wrote. A, oh, yeah. Wait, where did I? Did I see the trailer for this? Or did, yeah, probably. It's, it's, it's on Netflix right now. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. Did, Gangster goes yeah, into witness yeah, protection. Yeah, yeah. Becomes a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Yeah. Who's, who's in it? Again, Michael Rappaport's in it because yeah. I love Rappaport. I'll put him in everything. Um, Ethan Suplee from Wolf of Wall. You know, Ethan yeah, yeah, Suplee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my name is Earl. Saget. I gave Saget a part, a cameo that's yeah. hilarious. Um, Jay Ferguson from Mad Men. Danny, uh, Danny A. Abacazer plays the comedian. A gr- uh, Nick Cordero from Bronx Tale. Like, sick cast. Yeah. So next thing I know, I'm fucking writing my next movie. And they and I got them on this one because I didn't get them, but like they called me and they were like, "We had this idea," da, da, da. and I said, "You know what? I got an idea." And based loosely on that terrible situation that happened to me years ago when I got caught up in that retribution, you gotta tell that story. I'll tell that story. I'll tell that story for sure. And I'll tell I'll tell it in a minute. <laughs> so I had a story that happened to me. That was very bad. I got caught up with some bad people, and I took a beating is basically what happened. I'll tell you the story in a minute. But off that off that situation, I, I developed a comedy in my head because there was a moment in my life where I was having these thoughts like, if I ever went to the – if I had to go into the witness protection program, yeah, would I just stop being funny? 
So that was like the kernel of an idea. And I thought, I would love, I'm going to do a movie where there's a guy who's in witness protection for something, but he's just a funny guy. Yeah. And he gets on an open mic while he's in witness protection. It's, and you see, you, but you see that all the time with like guys in prison. It's a real legit thing. Joey Diaz fucking Joey Diaz, cut yeah. his teeth in prison. Yeah. He's one of these, the fucking funniest dude we know. So there's something to that. And by the way, Joey Diaz was who I actually wanted for to play the lead of it. Like I wanted Joey Diaz oh. to play this thing. But there was like a time where I fucking couldn't get a hold of Joey. Hey, do me a favor, you call somebody, yeah, I'll talk to you later. I'll be like, yeah, I'll call you Thursday. Yeah. It was I couldn't fucking track his ass down. And and then we just the, the train started moving. So long story boring. Uh, I tell them this idea. I said, guy goes into witness protection on a dare. He does an open mic and he becomes accidentally famous while the mob is trying to get him. That's a great premise. Thanks. And so, boom, we shot that movie. We fucking same the same way I did. My man is a loser. Shot it in Brooklyn, all over New York City. Shot it for a lot less money. It was just a lower budget movie. It was yeah. it was just a super indie and it was awesome. And I learned so much on my man as a loser that I was able to just move faster. I knew all the coverage. I knew the beats. I knew how to just, I kept it moving fast. Yeah. And boom, we sold the movie to The Orchard, a company called The Orchard. They put the movie out and then Netflix picked it up and bought it. Like four, this is like four months ago, it got on Netflix. So you could watch a stand up guy on Netflix, which I've done 40 times now to give myself 80 cents per download. <laughs> I'll fucking uh, watch it tonight. Yeah. I, did I, I might have seen it though. I think I, either that or you sent me the. Trailer. I had a premiere in L.A. and I know I invited like everybody. I invited all the comics, but you know comedians were so socially funny, like and weird that like no one kind of believed that I had a movie. So yeah. it'd be like, I got a movie premiere, and say, yeah, Mike, I got a movie premiere too. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they weren't really understanding that it's my fucking movie. Yeah, and I want you guys to come. It's because the hardest it's- part in this business is when you call someone. Like I, I have a, I had a TV show offered to me. And they said we want a we want you to do it with a girl, and I was like, okay, cool. And they're like, um, can you ask Eliza? And I was like, and by the way, it's very short sighted to me. I definitely should have called her and said, hey, would you like to do a TV show? It's an offer, ever. But I, in my head, I go, she's so busy. She's got so much going on. She doesn't want to be bothered with a stupid TV show with me. And yeah. so I just was like, I don't think I can. I go ask her agents. I don't like. I asked Nikki Glaser to do something with me one time, yeah. and I was, and it was the biggest mistake of my life. I'll never do it again. I don't know. I've never, actually never met Nikki Glaser. I've never met her. She's, I, yeah. Man, from my experience, and my experience is limited. And I maybe I'm maybe I'm very jaded in in our experience. Maybe it's very one sided. Maybe I was a cunt. Maybe yeah. I was a standoffish headliner. Maybe I was a fucking drunk who dismissed her, and I didn't watch her sets. Maybe I did all of that. I don't fucking know. I was definitely drunk. And I was always a married man when I worked with these girls. I, well, you, ladies, women. Yeah. I was always married, and I was always fucking, you know me. Good I am guy. not a dog. No. Nope. If anything, I'm like, hey, let's get fucked up, have a good time. Hell yeah. I, I'll keep an eye on you. I'll make sure nothing happens to you. But uh, she is one of my favorite stories that happened with me and her. That I is, I is It is my favorite Nikki Glazer story. I can't tell it. I won't tell it. Oh, but shit. I won't tell it because... Uh, because I'm sure Nikki wouldn't want me to tell right. it. I, I'm not. I'm not going to assume anything with anybody anymore. Right, right. But right. like she, we worked together in Richmond and Orlando. Like those, and I, we just had such a good fucking time. Go to lunch and just bullshit about comedy. And she, I was really good friends with Amy at the time. I think. Yeah. I was really good friends with Amy. Amy used to come out and stay in our house. Really. Like we'd go on vacation, and my wife, would, my wife would call Amy and go, "Hey, our house is open. 
do you want to stay here and do auditions and and have take meetings and amy was was broke at the time not broke but a free apartment is yeah. really nice hell yeah i'd take right now and so she would be like yeah she stayed at our house for a couple weeks she killed our hamster literally to this day my daughters when they see her on tv go she killed our fucking hamster didn't feed it no no i think we if i'm not I, my recollection of the story is kind of jaded because we came in with like nikki or uh amy just left a, a note that said uh hamster dead <laughs> shut up thanks see you later holy <laughs> shit the girls could read but just <laughs> on top of the cage hamster dead and so had a great time nobody knows how the hamster died <laughs> well we had to give it shots like, who gives a fucking hamster shots? And my wife was like, I think my wife left it to Amy and was like, you just got to give her one shot and it'll be fine. And I think she gave it to it in its spine. Or maybe she didn't give it the shot. Maybe my wife forgot to give it the shot, but it fucking died. And we came home and it was a shit show of emotion for my kids. That is terrible. And, but I, I mean, I, I, I've always looked at Amy as a friend first. Yeah. Like, and like she, I would do a show in Portland. She'd come out and just not to see me do stand up, not to do a guest set, to like come to the club, yeah, to wait in the green room so that when we got done, we'd go to my hotel room and party, yeah, and like and then we'd go to my hotel room and party, hang out with her at the at the airport the next day. Just a cool ass chick, I, always man. I, and but once again, I don't know how I behave. I haven't talked to Amy in fucking probably four years. I don't know how you like. I I I'm. Yo, people get busy. I yeah, guarantee busy. she know. I mean, she's probably thinking the same thing. We had the best time, and she probably doesn't even know four years passed. Yeah, you know, she's been on a train. That's the last been time flying. I talked to her, I think I said I wanted to do my podcast, and she texted me and was like, "Hey, can we just go for a hike or something?" She's like, "I yeah. not feel like doing press." Yeah, and I was like, "Then don't, don't. I don't, I don't want to ever. I don't want you to feel like I. Yeah, I don't want yeah. you to feel like that for me. Like." It's such a. That's why I don't like doing a fucking podcast. Cause I feel so embarrassed to ask people to do my podcast. I'm like, because they hear it a million times. I asked Nikki to do my podcast. She said no. I was. She was like, I'm not doing podcasts anymore. And I was like, fuck. Jesus. I was like, I was like, I, maybe it's me. Now that I look at this, it might be me. <laughs> no, bro, it's not. Poor it's the construction at the Nikki. house. I probably said something. I, I know I pissed. I know I pissed her off because I came in and she was on the treadmill one time and I videotaped. I was videotaping her and I came around. And I was like, "Hey!" And she was like, "Can you race that right fucking now?" She on this like, treadmill? No. Oh, no, in a hotel on the road. And I was like, "I'm sorry." She was like, "No, I just don't want anyone. I don't want a visual of me working out." So it's probably fucking me. It's probably me. I love Nikki. I am sorry for whatever I did. I don't remember what it was, but but I I get it. Are you sure you're not Jewish? You got <laughs> guilt like me. Dude, I do. I am. Yo, you're a sweet soul. That's what it is. I'm a. I'm. I'm. I'm a. You're a sensitive a nice giant. I'm a nice guy, and I feel like I feel like sometimes in this business, nice guys get beat up. Or, or you know, it's like it's like I don't know. It's this. I've never been the kind of guy that like I've wanted David Tell's number to text him my whole fucking life, and I've yeah. worked with him, and I've hung out with him, and I very easily at any point could have said. No, no, no. What Just give me your number. Yeah. yeah. We'll do it. We'll figure it out. Give me your number. Yeah. I would never do that. This I, weekend, he texted me. He DM'd me. He's like, hey, send me your number. And I was like, oh. I love a tell, man. He's the greatest. Yo, I I, I got, won't ask him. I want him to do my podcast when I'm in New York. Yeah. I'll never ask him. I won't ask anybody that, like, that I feel that I would be. I ask my friends. Yeah. People I, I can party with that I like. 
Attell, I, Attell is one of those comedy minds that like I was lucky enough to open. I opened for him back in the day when I was. We had the same manager for a moment in time, and he put. I featured for Attell for like three weeks, and it was one of those times where I was like, you know. You get a comic that's so good and says such crystal clear, fucking amazing jokes. You start quoting them. So I remember it Dude. was like when on the road with Attell, I was like calling my friends back in Detroit, like you gotta fucking hear what this guy's saying. Like listen to this. I was quoting him like I quote movies, like I quote like classic movies. Attell is a beast, and we yeah you know, we had some fun on the road. We had we definitely had some fun. I mean, and I remember his work ethic is what no one talks about because I was I remember. I was like, Dave, you want to go to? A I didn't really know him well. I was just opening because we had the same manager. I was like, Dave, you want to go to a movie? Yeah. Like he's like, no. I'm like, what do you do all day? He's like, I write. I sit in the hotel and I write all day. He just writes. I was like, that makes sense, bro, because you got you ten new see, jokes every fucking his, night. I was talking to Big J about it. You can see it in his, like it's the same thing I say. You got. It's like, in a weird way, by whatever tag he throws in that night, you're like. Well, did he drive on the Long Island Expressway today? Because it's all the shit he saw. Oh, it's like stopping at a at a at a Dunkin' Donuts in the set. Like, and you're like, yeah. wow, that's that's very specific. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, he's the fucking best. He's got a great mind. But we were we were we were talking about the inspiration for the for a stand up guy. Oh, this is if, this is like so that so that. Do you I, want I me? To, to, do you want I, me to tell it? A hundred percent. So we go. We're in Atlantic City. We're all outside sharing stories. I think I might have told the machine story sitting out on the on the. It was one of the greatest fucking days. It's all of us, all from the Young American Comedy Tour. Yeah, all fucking comedy store comics, all sitting except for me at the time, yep. and we're all sitting down and we're just sharing stories. And it's like I was in fucking Rolling Stone magazine. I got involved with the Russian mafia. I fought a bear, and everyone's like, "Whoa!" And then they're like, "No," and I, and they're like, "You got good stories." You haven't heard Mike's story. Yeah. And I was like, what? And I remember we're all sitting on there shirtless. You told me the story. My mouth was fucking agape the whole fucking time. It's the tale that won't leave. It's the story. You know, I get I get hesitant to say to tell it only because there's still people around that were like involved in it. But I've changed the city that it happened in multiple times. And I mean, basically, I just. I mean, I fuck it. I'll tell. I'll, I'll tell you. This was the inspiration for the movie, a stand-up guy, yeah. and it's also the inspiration for a lot of things that have happened in my life. It's why I live life to the fullest. It's why I'm. I did a short. I'm writing a short film that's in that vein. Also, yeah, it's something I need to fucking get off my chest constantly because it fucked with me so bad that it's just shit that you gotta just. The more I talk about it, the better I feel because for like a couple of years, I just had a paranoid. I was paranoid. It was nuts. So basically, I was like, I was emceeing a night in in L.A. somewhere. I was I was the MC in Hollywood. I was fucking rocking a club every Wednesday. I was the host of a comedy night. They were doing comedy and karaoke. It was a club, and it was becoming popular, and it was becoming like the hottest night in L.A. And it was like all of a sudden you look up and there's fucking Hefner and the Playmates and Paris Hilton yeah. and Mariah Carey singing karaoke and fucking it's becoming some hot shit. And all my boys, Leo, Connolly, Toby McGuire, they're all there. Now it's becoming like real Hollywood shit. And I'm the host. I'm the guy on the microphone. And one night I'm fucking doing my thing and some dude sings karaoke, seemed like a real nice guy. And five minutes later, a fucking I see somebody 
get he- someone headbutts him, that guy, and the guy goes singling across the floor. So the guy fucking headbutts him, and I jump down to like I jump down in the mix, and I I go, yo, bro, what's you know, calm down, relax, bro. And the guy I'm telling this to is like a big dude. He's in a suit. And he's got like this air about him that's just real confident and real comfortable to tell me to go fuck off. And so he's there's been, the type. There's I can say go fuck off, but it comes out panicky. Oh, go fuck off, man. Yeah, there's yeah. a nervous fuck off, and yeah. then there's I'll kill you comfortably, and you won't even do it. Yeah, I, I I can I'll step on you. Yeah, and I'm not a little guy. I'm six two. And this dude is like, I'll fucking kill you. You know who the fuck I am? And he's talking this kind of crazy shit. And he's putting his hand like over my head. He's waving it over my head. And I'm feeling threatened. I'm like, if this guy can headbutt somebody, he's definitely going to bite my face off. Is That's his next move. Yeah. So dumb, dumb Detroit Mike that I am, I think to myself, if I get one good shot in on this guy, I'll get the bouncers. Just they'll take him outside and we'll be done. And I can keep going with the comedy fun night of Hollywood. And so I fucking faint back with I plant my right foot and I fucking hit him and I hit him in the jaw and I catch him in like the ear where the ear connects to the jaw and he fucking goes sailing and he goes sailing into a booth and now it's on and he's kind of he's kind of going out like he's sort of almost unconscious but he's still a little conscious and I'm now I lost it like when I go I go and I fucking pick up a speaker and I fucking, I mean, I'm an idiot. I pick up a speaker and I now it's a melee and I fucking smash a speaker on his body. And I like, I don't even know what I was doing. I was like, I was like, I pushed it on him. Yeah. I threw the speaker down. I grabbed him. I threw him on the ground. And I was like, this. and then I said the fucking corniest shit that I've ever said in my life. I looked this motherfucker in the eye and he's coming too. And I go, yo, bro, I run this place. And he fucking looks at me from the ground and he just looks at me and he goes, I fucking own this place. And it turned out, and as soon as he said that, I had heard stories about this dude who owns this place and he's a fucking bad motherfucker and you do not want to ever fuck with this guy. He's a real gangster, a connected badass dude. And so... All these thoughts are going through my head while I'm on top of him. I'm like, let him. Pu- I'm thinking to myself, like, if I let him punch me a couple times, maybe he'll feel better. I'm like, letting him try to like hit me. Yeah. And he's not getting me. He's swinging, but he's missing. All of a sudden, there's like seven of his goons from the back come, and they're fucking marching towards the pile. And six of my friends, who are fucking poets, tap dancers, and authors, are coming from the right side. You know what I mean? And they're fucking in sweatpants and couldn't beat up anybody. And it's a pile. There's a pile on me. And all of a sudden, somebody drags, one of my boys drags me out of the pile, throws me out the back door of the place. And the last thing I hear him say is, yo, bro, you basically just hit John Gotti Jr. You got to get the fuck out of town. And I start running through a backyard. I'm running through a fucking neighborhood in, in, in Hollywood. And I'm running through a neighborhood. I'm fucking doing some movie shit. I'm hopping fences. I'm 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 switching up my pattern. Yeah. Like I know that they're in the streets with guns and they're looking for me. And so I fucking pop out on the Santa Monica Boulevard somehow. I see a cab in the middle of the street. I'm panicked. I don't even think about like like getting a hailing a cab. I'm yeah. jumping in that cab, even if there's people in the cab. I fucking go, I jump in the cab. Luckily there was nobody in it. 
I said, take me to the comedy store. I don't know where else to hide. I fucking go to the comedy store and I'm up there and now I'm getting, now my phone's blowing up and I'm getting phone calls and they're like, yo, bro, you got to go to Detroit. Like one of my boys who's like a bookmaker, he calls me. He's like, yo, bro, I know the guy. You got to disappear for three weeks. You got to go to Detroit, pretend you don't exist, disappear. We'll let, we'll keep you posted on what's going on here. But right now they want to fucking kill you and you got to go. And so I'm like, I'm thinking it was just a bar fight and I was saving the fucking bar is what I'm thinking. Yeah. And that somehow he'll be rational and be like, you know what? I was out of control. I was a little out of line. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. It's not that. And I'm at the comedy store and I remember I'm fucking, there's blood on my neck from scratches and my hair's all fucked up. I look and then my shirt's ripped in half. And I look and I, the first person I see is Tripoli. And he's like, dude, what the fuck happened? You get a motorcycle accident? Yeah. I was like, no, man. Some gangsters are after me. They're trying to kill me. <laughs> and I fucking go and I hide in the back of the comedy store. And now there's like plans are being put into motion to get me. And it was get it got real. And so I'm getting phone calls from the place. And my boy, like Kevin Connolly was there. And Connolly's like, yo, bro, this isn't good. The guy says he can't hear. He's fucking his his ears fucked up and he's he's having pain in his ear. But he is drinking, so maybe we'll, I'll call you back. We'll keep you posted. Good and God. at the time, you know, my movie star friends were at the place. They were going to him and vouching for me and basically going, yo, bro, please don't kill him. Please don't get him. You know, don't hurt him. He's a good dude. He's a comedian. He does, he's not in this world. Yeah. They're doing all they can to save me. The night goes on. I realize that my car is there. My car is still there in valet. I call Leo. Leo, I text him. I was like, yo, bro. You're probably the only one that can fucking get my car out of there, like without any issues. Have one of our boys get it, and I'm at I'm at the comedy store, and so all of a sudden, 25 minutes later, I swear to God, it's ridiculous. But here comes fucking Leonardo DiCaprio driving my Honda Accord four door up through the comedy store back lot. The, 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 whoever's running the lot at the time, I can't remember who it was. He's like, "What the fuck is Leonardo DiCaprio doing here? And why is he driving a Honda Accord?" And so Leo pulls up in my car with all my boys are in the car. And all they're saying is, dude, that was the hardest punch we've ever seen. What the fuck? I heard it from the back of the room. This guy's in bad shape. Yeah. We got to fucking save you. This is not good. So I'm getting those kind of phone calls. So Leo brings the car. I keep my car there. They go back to the place because my boy was DJing, who I like, one of my good friends, and they kept him there. They didn't let him leave. He's like one of my best friends was the DJ, and they just kept him. Like kind of hostage, like yeah. you ain't going anywhere until you tell us where Mike is. So it's getting, I'm nervous as shit. I'm fucking panicking because I know LA is not my town. If this happens in Detroit, I got my people around. We're, yeah. we're going to be good. So my boy, who's like the bookie, and it had a little, I'm just going to put this like it happened in a different type of city. Like I'm not telling a hundred percent of the truth because yeah. these people are out there and I don't want to get fucked with. Yeah. But like, this is exactly how it happened. But my boy who is a bookie, he said, yo, meet me at this restaurant at one in the morning. We got to talk. And he knows the dude from his world. That's that. They know each other. Yeah. The underworld. They're all, they all know each other. Yeah. So I meet him and I go see him. Just me and him. We're sitting across from each other. And he's like, first thing he says is, you're probably going to have to take a beating. 
I said, this is the guy you hit. No, no, I'm sitting oh, with my with your boy bu- your who buddy. knows them. Yeah, knows his whole camp. He's negotiating for me. It's like negotiations are in motion. So he's like, "You're gonna have to take a beating." I go, "Bro, I gotta be honest. I'm not taking a fucking free beating. I don't like getting punched in the face. I can't take pain very well. I'm a fucking comedian. Yeah, I might be. Able, I know how to box, but it's because I, I learned how to box, so I didn't have to get punched in the face. Yeah. So I said, "You got to go back to the table, bro, and figure this out." So back and forth, back and forth. And it th- finally, I get a call from one of my boys, and he's like, "Yo, bro, we got this shit down to a sit down. You're gonna meet somewhere out near, you know, past Hollywood, you know, out east. We're gonna sit down in the afternoon. All you gotta do is apologize." So in the meantime, I'm calling. I call my godfather in Detroit, who's a connected guy. I put him on warning, you know, notice. Here's yeah. what's happening. I tell my brother what's happening. I call some people I know from the East Coast. Like this is real gangster shit. And I call my boys in the East Coast, and they're like, "We've heard of this guy. We could take care. We could squash this for you. Don't worry." And they could have possibly squashed it because they were kind of high up in the rankings, but I didn't let them do it because I thought, in my mind, I thought I hurt this dude. No matter what he says, he's going to get me somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't I, want that. You want. You want to. I'd rather. I'd rather take the fucking bandaid off. Let's take the fucking bandaid off. <laughs> yeah. Let's see what's going to happen here. So we got it down to a supposed sit down, and it's all set up for a Monday. And this whole thing happened on a Wednesday, so I got these five days in between to figure my shit out. So uh, I put everyone on blast. Everyone's on notice. Everyone's on call. I got my girlfriend at the time. She's panicked. She doesn't know what's going on. And I decide I'm just going to go in and I'm going to face the music. I talked to my brother about it. I talked to everybody about it. And I was like, whatever happens, bro, I know I don't think he's going to you know, take me out because yeah. I got his number. And is that, you know, we all know where each other lives. It would just be a bad thing for everybody if that happened. So I said, I'm just going to. Oh, I'm just going to take it. So in between the five days, I'm sending fucking gifts. I'm se- I swear to God, I'm sending flowers. I'm sending T-shirts. I bought him like a University of Arizona hooded sweatshirt. I don't know if you like U of A, bro, but I, I went there. Yeah. You know, I'm just trying all my shit. I write letters. I'm sorry. I didn't know it was you. I'm so sorry. So I send letters. I send gifts. The whole. So I'm thinking like I'm setting myself up good for the sit down. Yeah. So Monday comes and we meet up at my boy's place, you know, one of my actor buddies, we meet at his house and we're all, all my boys are there. We're, everyone's pacing around and a couple of my friends are like, I can't believe we got this to a sit down. We're so lucky. And one of my other buddies is like, this is terrible. This guy's dangerous. I don't like the way this feels. Long story short, we get in the car, me and my one buddy, we get in the car and we fucking roll down. We roll down the hill. We head out East. We go to this place, set up for lunch. And I go, we pull up to the place, and the place is locked in the front. And it's fully locked. Padlock, shit is locked up. fuck me. Shit is locked up. Yes. So I go around back. We go around back. I'm leading the way. I go around back, and I open the door, and right away is the dude. I see, I open the door, boom, he's right in front of my face. And I see him, and he's like fucking wearing a turtleneck, and he's big, and he's fucking menacing looking. He looks like he wants to go to work, like... He's either getting done working out or he's about to work out. Yeah. He is in athletic gear. And so I just start apologizing. Sweatpants, huh? Yeah. Fitting sweatshirt. Oh, shit. Meanwhile, I'm, you know, the comedy mind never shuts off. So in my mind, I'm like, that's a great shirt, bro. It brings out your shoulders. You know what I mean? Your delts. Like, you look fucking strong. And I start apologizing when I see him. I'm just fucking apologizing. I'm like, I'm sorry, 
John, I'm sorry, bro. I'm so sorry. Blah, blah, blah. I'm, ap- I'm just spewing apologies. He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Talk to me over here. And he fucking sends me into a room, into like a bigger room where there's like a restaurant area and it's all dim lights. And there's fucking no joke. There's like Italian music playing on a fucking, on a stereo system. Yeah. And it's, I walk in and there is a six foot five monster with a nine millimeter. And next to him is another six foot five monster with a nine millimeter. And they're just pacing around like gorillas with guns. And they're not even like uncomfortable. They're not, no one's shook. This is like day, everyday business for them. And they're, and my, in my mind, I'm going like, I see the gun and I'm like, that's a real gun. Like I'm thinking, that's not a toy. Yeah. It looks heavy. It looks like he has to have effort to like hold on to it. Yeah. And so, obviously, this is not going the way I planned. And in my superhero stupid in brain, head, you're like, are we really gonna do lunch? <laughs> yeah, are they really making us lunch? I heard they had great salmon. Here. We really need to eat. <laughs> Seriously, is there a side of kale? I'm on a fucking diet. Do you know who I am? Yeah. I eat well. So, fucking two monsters hats. They got baseball hats pulled down. They got fucking giant mustaches. And they're looking real undercover, and I'm thinking, and they got sunglasses, and I'm like thinking they might like. I'm thinking you don't need sunglasses; it's already dark. Yeah. And basically, they fucking just aim at me. They put one of them aims the gun, and I'm thinking like I think to myself like I can't have my mom hear that I got killed in a fucking place out in California. Like I, yeah. that's not how I go out. I can't have this happen. Yeah. So while the gun is like dangling at me. It's like still like eight feet away and I can't really get near them and I don't want to. But like I am thinking I'm thinking about all the karate videos I've seen. And I'm like, if I could disarm him. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I know the slap. It's uh, it's hands going opposite directions. Knock the gun out. Put the gun. Yeah, that's what I'll do. I'm thinking I'll swoop the gun and I'll fucking start shooting. That's what I'm thinking. Shit. That's the thoughts that are are going through my head because I'm thinking he could get me. I could be done. Thank God that's not what happened. But. They obviously, they sit me down, they put me in a booth, and they go to work. And they fucking, they put me in a booth, they slam the table up against me, and they just fucking go to work on me, and they fucking start blasting away. And the fucking first punch, I remember feeling the first punch, and I swear to God, I thought to myself, great punch. Fucking amazing. That's a, I, had I that. thought that. Yeah. I thought, this guy's got a fucking heavy hand. Yeah. Like. Like, it felt not good, but, like, solid. Like, I'm like, this motherfucker is heavy. Yeah. And he blasted me good. And then all I felt was, like, little tit-tats, like, all over my face. And, obviously, I was out. Like, they they knocked me out, and they fucking, you know, when I started, I you know, I, I kind of was unconscious, but I was feeling the blows. And I fucking came to, you know, I came to. And when I came to, I looked down and I looked at my shirt and uh, I looked at my shirt and there was a river of blood. Like I was just like, I'd never seen that really much blood and I played hockey. I bought, you know, I've yeah. seen a lot of blood, but this was like a river and I fucking look at the blood and I'm like, they, they had pulled the table away. So I had my hands free. So I start feeling my limbs. You know, I just come kind of checking my limbs thinking like, am I, am I broken? Am I shot? Yeah. I didn't know what was happening. So I felt my limbs. I felt no pain, like no real physical pain. So I'm thinking like, oh my God, I'm okay. I'm like, yeah. I'm okay. But what I didn't realize was the power of adrenaline and like the, how real that shit is. There is no drug that tops that. Yeah. So I feel the shit. I'm, I kind of come to. I'm waking up and I'm still mumbling. I'm like apologies. I'm like, hey man, I'm sorry. Why do we have to do? I'm so sorry, man. I'm so. Sorry. I'll work for free. I was like saying crazy shit. Yeah. 
And basically they were just like, I was beat to shit. I was fucked up and they stood me up and they were like, stand up. And I stood up. He's like, give me your shirt. And I fucking give him, I start taking my shirt off and they have a shirt ready for me. They literally have like another shirt that I'm going to wear. And they give me like a fucking fresh beefy tea, white t-shirt that like smells brand new. And it's like, you know, you're so conscious when this is the, like the finite things you remember. And like, I remember putting the shirt on and I'm thinking like, I would work out in this, but it like doesn't breathe as much as I'd like. <laughs> like it yeah. was like thick, yeah. you know, like those thick ones. It's like, yeah. I'm thinking this is like a $3.99 shirt. You could have got me like a better shirt. <laughs> you know, I'm like wearing like a heavy shirt. It's like, two I'm, for 20. What you, the fuck? You, you know what I mean? I know where you got this shirt, yeah. bro. Yeah. I bought them in college when I was saving money. So I put the shirt on and I'm fucking delirious. You know, I'm kind of standing when I'm off. And my boy is in the room. He's still there. The dude, oh, you know, the fuck. dude was with me. And uh, they're basically, they go, give me your license. Give me your fucking cell phone. And I'm thinking, like, I don't want to do that. I'm thinking, like, I don't. I, so I lie. I'm like, I don't have it. I, don't, I, I didn't bring my license. I, and the dude fucking puts the gun on my head. Like, he just puts it to my temple. and like, bang. And, like, kind of puts it off, you know, like, yeah. hit, hits me a little bit with it, just like a tap. And I come up with my license and cell phone immediately, which I bo- had both readily available oh, on I'm me. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, yep, yep, Did yep. you say license and cell phone? <laughs> I thought you said bouquet of flowers. <laughs> um, I hand them my shit, and they're like, get the fuck out of here. And basically, I'm like, I'm, they're walking me out, and on my way out the door, uh, well, the way out the door, the one dude with the gun fucking puts it to the back of my head. And he taps me again on the back of the head and he says like some dumb shit like, you know, like I should have put one in your head like that. Yeah, exactly. Basically what he said. And that feeling of like having a real gun up on your head that could go off is a bad fucking feeling. Yeah. And I'm sick to my stomach while this is all happening. And as I'm leaving, I turn around one more time and I say to the guy, yo, bro, why? Like, why do we have to go here? I basically I got I hit you once and I know I hurt you, but like it was you overdid it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And he basically just like looked at me. He goes, yo, you ruptured my eardrum. He goes, we're even. He's like, you ruptured my eardrum. He's like, and he points to his ear. He's like, I can't hear. So he says oh, that. Fuck. So he goes, we're even. Like, we're just even. We're you done. You ruptured and we're his even. fucking eardrum. Yeah. I ruptured his eardrum. And that was it. We were even. And obviously, it's a fucking terrible story. Yeah. And the lesson that I took from that story. And obviously, I go outside. We get in the car. I look at my boy. I go, yo, is it bad? Like, I didn't see what I look like. Yeah. I pull. He goes, it's. And my boy's like crying. Grown man crying. And he goes, it's bad, bro. It's bad. And I pull down the rear view mirror. I'm in the passenger seat. And I look at myself. And I look like the fucking elephant man. I mean, really? I look disfigured, fucked up to the point where I'm like, I'll never look normal again. That's what I'm thinking. And we go right to the hospital. I go right to the emergency room and I get in there and they look at me and they wheel me right in. There's no paperwork on this one. Yeah. They're like, get this motherfucker. He's got a brain injury. I look like I was in a bad accident. I get there. Obviously, I tell everybody um, I tell everybody that I was I was mugged. I got mugged. I yeah. said I got mugged. And they wheel me in. They lay me down. Doctor stitches me up. I got 27 stitches, broken up face, you know. Oddly enough, he did not. He was trying probably to break what I what I broke. Yeah. But somehow he was like hit me so clean that it didn't break the bones. But he, yeah, broke my nose, sliced me up good, and just fucked my shit up. And they lay, you know, got me in the room. 
doctor sewed me up. And the only crazy real pain I ever had from this whole thing physical was when the doctor numbed my nose because like, they were stitching up my nose. So he yeah. had to go in with the Novocaine into the nose bone. Yeah. That shit was terrible. That was the first time I, I mean, I, that was bad pain. So boom, they stitched me up. They fucking, sheriff comes in, asked me about the mugging. I tell him what happened. I give him a story. They take a bunch of pictures of me. All of a sudden, some gangsters I know that didn't hear from me, they went to the they went to this place. They start visiting the place. Now they're looking for this dude, and now a whole new set of circumstances are like in motion that I don't even know about. Oh shit! People that like had love for me that were like worried about me and didn't hear from me when it was over, they started looking around town for homeboy, and so. You know, it, it, it gets it gets crazier and longer, but thank God nothing else physical happened. I never went at him. He never came back at me. The lesson I learned is if you are not involved in a fight and it has nothing to do with you, <laughs> do not fucking get in the middle. Yeah. I don't give a fuck if you are the MC of Comedy Thursdays. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It ain't your night. Dude. You're a work for hire. And that's that's one of two comedy fights. Yeah. The yeah. other one was man. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. I was in Miami. You guys were in West Palm. Yeah, and or, one of West Palm or Fort Lauderdale. I forget where. Motherfuckers just like to punch me in the face, Bert. And Aaron, I think Aaron called me. Probably. She's like, "What happened to Mike Young last night?" Because she goes, "What did you guys do?" And I'm like, "Huh?" Yeah. And I, I go, "Nothing." I go, "What are you talking about?" I go, "I'm in Miami." She's like, "No, you guys went out last night and you guys got into a fight. What, what happened?" And I was like, "I was like, I don't know." And then and then I called Ernst and he's like, "Dude, we're at the hospital." It was bad. I mean, I hate I hate to sound like the comedian that gets beat but, up a lot. But, but both I don't know both what it is. Aren't, I mean, I mean, rupturing the guy's eardrum is technically you can see that you're you're false in that. Yeah. You, but the other one was you did nothing. Nothing. You nothing. did nothing. And this is like this is my this, this is part of the reason I don't like going out to bars with fans. Like I go, I hang out at the Improv. Because I know there's always like a bouncer watching me. Totally. I'll hang out at the comedy club. I'm I'm good, but, but like, uh, but that changed my life. That that yeah. one that one changed my game. West Palm Young American Comedy Tour, fucking you, me, Renazizi, Sam Tripoli, and I think it was no, it wasn't Brett. Kind of Brett, Brett, or no, Steve. I think it was just the three of us, and then they gave us like a local opener. You know, it was it was our tour, so. I think we uh, it was just the three of us yeah. that you that I must you know. have called. I must have called either Renaissance or Tripoli. Yeah, so the three of us. It's Thursday night, West Palm Beach Improv. We're doing and this is probably why I haven't got booked in a lot of the improvs. I, I don't know what the fuck, but uh, yeah, yeah, we're doing. We do a show Thursday night, and some hot, beautiful girl fucking rolls up on me after the show, and just like I always do, if a hot girl rolls up, we talk, we hang. I got no reason to believe there's a stalker among us or anything happening. Yeah. We do the show. She's like, hey, my friends own this bar next door to the uh, improv. You want to come next door? Blue Martini. Go to the Blue Martini. We're fucking sitting there. I'm here. I'm in the booth. We're in the VIP in the back section. I'm in the booth. Chick is next to me, fucking holding my arm, rubbing my arm like we're dating. Tripoli's next to her. A girl. Renazizi, another girl. So we're all got girls. We're all having a great time. Renazizi goes to the bathroom. Tripoli goes to the dance floor with his girl. I'm alone with this girl and maybe one of her friends. And I'm literally just looking at her. And I'm literally, I swear to God, I'm thinking to myself, how great is life? 
I'm in West Palm Beach. I'm doing comedy for a living, and yeah. I got a beautiful girl next to me. No sooner is that thought fucking on my mind than, bam, I get fucking sucker punched out of left field. I don't see it coming. I don't know where it comes from. I thought I was having a brain hemorrhage because I literally – it felt like somebody hit me with a hammer. And, I, and I'm fucking – all of a sudden, I'm just getting blasted. Bam, bam, bam. And it's kind of dark, and I don't see anything. I cover up. I, co- I like have enough sense to like cover myself. I stand up to like to fight and see what's happening, and I don't see anybody. I see a guy with a skinhead, like a skinhead type of guy. I see twenty feet away, running out of the door. Like he came, he whooped my ass, and he was gone. I did not even fucking see his face. Nothing. The girl next to me is like crying. I just like screaming, crying. And I remember while it was happening, she was like kicking. And all of a sudden, Tripoli had seen the fray and like came over to me, like, what the fuck? What? And it happened so fast. Yeah. Dude was gone. And all of a, and I just I got fucking the shit beat out of me by a sucker punching maniac. And so while this girl is crying, I'm see, I'm sensing that she knows who that was. Her cry is kind of fake. Her the way she's talking is kind of bullshit. And she starts fucking talking, and I just and and I'm hurt on this one. This one I'm actually more hurt than the other. This one, one was like fucking the broken wor- nose, chipped orbital, like got me good, like just out of nowhere, and. And so, whatever. So, I, I, we're looking at this girl, and we're like, who the fuck was that? And she's not coming up with his name. But her friend is like, it was her ex-boyfriend, and he's a fucking crystal meth fuckhead. He's been stalking her, and he's violent. He pushes her around. He's a piece of shit. So, I, I said, yo, I'm going to, I got to go to the bathroom and see what I look like. I'm all cockeyed, fucked up, broken nose. Yeah. Again, here comes an ambulance from Mike Young. <laughs> I'm looking <laughs> I mean, I should be sponsored by fucking by uh, hospitals. You should do it. You should, I should be sponsored you should by do the Blue Mike Young stretcher tour. I swear to God, just come out in a stretcher. We're just bring, just bring a stretcher. So I'm fucked up and beat up. I'm in the bathroom. I'm depressed now because I'm thinking like, how can I get beat up twice in my life? It's like a this? weird man. I don't for the one, and I'm not saying like that people. But if you ever been beat up. It's it's immediately depressing. It's immediately like fuck. How did that happen? It got my spirit. Oh, dude! It it I off. I used to have a joke about Saddam Hussein wasn't beat up enough because right. I think if he if someone knocked his dick in the dirt, yeah. he might have been cooler. Totally. You know that's you, what you can tell. Osama bin Laden was a fucking rich kid. He never got his dick knocked in the dirt. No doubt. Getting beat up is a mentally fucked up thing. Oh. It does some good lessons if it doesn't permanently damage you. But this motherfucker got me. And so I got his name. I got his address right away. And the beautiful thing about being a stand-up comedian is you meet all kinds of beautiful, dangerous people on the road that love you. And you get love from motorcycle clubs. And you get love from (laughs) prisoners. And you get love from ex-cons that are looking for work again. And you get lots of love. It is true. You know that, Bert. You come. Up, I'm Dude, sure you got love, bro. I got you. Know, I'm not gonna. I won't. I'm. I'm not gonna. You don't need to say. We the hung name. out. No, but we hung out that weekend in in what you call it in uh, Atlantic City with with. Uh, don't. I'm not gonna say anyone's name no. or anything. But with some uh, with uh, some really seedy uh, skinheads. Yeah. And and they came and saw our show. Yeah. And they wanted to go party and 
we, I don't think any of us were aware they were skinheads no. until it was way too late. And then we were like, oh, fuck, we're partying with skinheads. Mike's Jewish. <laughs> fucking Steve's Asian. We got to get the fuck out of here. No. And then and then and I'm the only one that's like, guys, they're really cool. Yeah. Let's stick around. And then and then and then I those skinheads those same skinheads used to come ex skinheads they're all ex skinheads yeah, but yeah. Um, they would come to my shows in in certain in neighboring villages <laughs> and man those guys were like you have those guys and then they they were like diehard like comedy fans they'd come they'd come and be like I remember one guy brought me a pair of socks brought me new socks he goes you like me man we like new socks and he brought me like a thing of socks and i was like hey thanks and he was like no 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 i always got your back and i was like in my head i was like i had a death threat and i was like that's why i fucking call hell yeah he doesn't give a fuck about doing a stint from fuck yeah you make him laugh he'll do three years for you fuck yeah it's you do meet really really fucking crazy people out yeah. there. yeah but that's the beauty of what we do because you supply comedy to their life and it's like they got your back yeah and it's a good thing so when that went down there were some people in town that were like literally like calling me going, yo, Mike, listen, it ain't going to cost you but $1,200. We'll <laughs> fucking go to his place right now and take pictures for you. We'll fucking do everything to him. Yeah. We'll give you pictures. We'll paint. We'll paint a picture. We'll do whatever you want. Because we're also, we'll, we got boys that grew up down there. Yeah. There's like, that's the other thing is that like I get fucked up in Detroit and someone goes, and someone first immediately calls you, you call your brother, your brother calls me, hey, we're right in town, how can we help? Totally. And that's the way, that, that is the crazy thing. Like, I fell out of, off a thing in North Carolina, and I had friends call friends to come get me in North Carolina. Hey, yep. don't worry, we'll get you to the hotel. I'm like, don't worry, I got it. But that is the crazy thing. Well, it's the beauty of comedy. You know, yeah. you're, you're, even though we get beat up, we're, we, got, we, got, we got a lot of people who got our backs. So that that weekend, I got the call from our, one of our friends. I'm not going to say his name either, yeah. but like one of our friends called. He's like, yo, you just call this dude, and they'll go get the guy. And I fucking just checked myself because the police were already involved. Yeah. And I just held back from doing that dirty shit. And I, di- I didn't – even though that motherfucker, I still got him on radar Like I, to this day. Do you, I know, know, do you know his Facebook? Fuck yeah. Oh. Yeah. And he tries to stay off Facebook because I think he knows – the, the dogs are circling him forever. I wonder if we have mutual friends. No, hell no, we don't. <laughs> um, but anyway, long story short, I had him arrested. I had him locked up. I had a, we were, a trial date set. And so we were getting ready. I was I, a month or two later, whatever. I had to get, I had to go back to Miami for trial. My bags are packed. I'm going against the guy. I know Florida's got some shady shit. And like, maybe he's connected down there with the police and yeah. maybe he'll get off. So I'm not even feeling good about it. But the night before trial, I get a phone call from his lawyer, and he's like, "Yo, he wants to settle, come up with a number, and we want to we want to pay this out." And so I basically took my medical bills, I quadrupled them, I tacked on another little few dollars, I came up with a number that I was comfortable with. I fucking faxed back the like I faxed it to them. They signed off on it, and this fucking poor white piece of shit had to go like his parents had to like refinance their house. They had to do all kinds of shit to pay me off. Yeah. But every month I was getting a check from the Florida Department of Corrections. And it Shut was the fuck yeah, up. Yeah. And it was just I I I got him for like a year or two of, of his money. Fuck that guy. Yeah. That's you know, that's, that's, and I always say that that fuck that guy because if you're jealous over a chick and you're going after a dude who's not even doesn't even know her, you don't know me. 
if you would have just literally asked for your girl back, I would have handed her over, bro. Like, I don't even know this girl. Dude, there's a lot of times you're at a club and a fucking beautiful chick just starts talking to you. And you just, and by the way, it's like, I don't know what, I don't know what Renazizi's situation was at the time. But I guarantee you, he wasn't fucking anybody. He was just sitting at the table with a chick. Yep. And, and, or I'm, I don't know if he was or he wasn't, but if he was married, he was just been like me, sitting at the table with a chick. Yep. That's it. Yep. Just fucking chilling. Yep. And, and if you would ever say to me, hey man, that's my girlfriend, I go, Dude, I am not trying to fuck your girl. Hell no. Not at all. So that 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 so that happened and then you start to like I started to like I, I got depressed after that one. Really? Because I was just like I started to think like is it me? Like I've been beat up bad twice. Dude, I do that a lot. You know, is it me? And then one of my saving graces was I actually went and I I read this book I killed by, it's about the comedians yeah. that were on the road. It was like the Sandler's in it, Tim Allen's in it. It's a good, it's old a good school book. dudes. It's a great book, and it's about their. We'll, we'll wrap it up. No, 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 no. I'm just, <laughs> just talking about all the improvs. I got my, I just got my improv offers. Yeah, and they were like revised offers, and I was like, is it lower or higher? <laughs> yeah, who knows what the fucking improvs. So, but you start thinking, is it you? Because I yeah. do that to myself. But when I read that book, I saw a bunch of our comrades and a bunch of the guys we looked up to in the game yeah. who did the road way before us. They had similar situations happen. So what it is is it's that you are a fucking free radical as a comedian. You are alone. You're on the road. You're in a town that's not yours. You're going into people's drinkingest nights. Drinking hammered nights. Chicks dig you because you're telling jokes on stage. Chicks dig you even if you're married. And I'm not saying like yeah, I, get, of course. I don't they get pussy. Right. I don't try to get pussy. But you do get jocked. And, the, and, and here's the other part that sucks is it feels good. Sometimes you don't want it to stop. Your girl comes up to the bar. Uh, you're fucking amazing. She's gorgeous. And you're like, oh, I wouldn't mind hearing a hot chick tell me how great I am for 10 minutes. Feels amazing. Yeah. And you're, and, and That's you're, why you do this. This free radical is a great re- representative of what you are because you do go like – like I always say uh, – like I saw someone get thrown through a window in, in uh, Hartford. And I was like – I was like, by the way, that guy was just at my show. Yeah. He was just at my show. How did I – how did my art turn him into a place where he's like, fuck you and – then and then, if you're like me, you're always at the bar until the end of the night. Yeah. They start cutting people off. People are like, "I remember this black dude yelling at the bartender, you 'You're a white piece of shit.'" And the bartender's like, "I'll fucking go." And you're like, "Oh, you forget the bartender might have some issues too." Totally. It's like, it's like everyone that works there is just as broken as me. Yep. They're all at the drinkingest night of their lives. I hate that shit, man. I do not like. I, that's why I'm like, I'm not aggressive with my stand up and like and like trying to fucking right take people apart because i don't i just want to have a good time i want to have a good time yeah that's my point i don't give a fuck what you do with your night i don't want to get in a fight i want to drink i want to laugh i want to giggle i want to go home i want to wake up i want to go to the gym i want to get subway i want to come back to another show i want to get home sunday i want to see my fucking kids i want to coach softball i want to fucking go to the rams game like, yeah. i just want to have a fucking fun life absolutely that's exactly i i, I couldn't agree more i i want that exact life and that's that's i feel like we've kind of paved our way to have that life yeah but some of these things they'll happen and what it did to me is basically not made me scared but i'm a i'm more timid 
And I don't like that part of me. Like, I don't like to be socially timid because yeah. I used to be more socially, like, fun. I never picked a fight in my life. I've never picked a fight. I've been in them. They've happened. I got a bitch-looking face. Like, some people just look at me. They go, I could beat the shit out of this blue-eyed bitch, soft-skinned motherfucker. I just have a face that people think they could beat up. For, it's My whole <laughs> life has been like that. And that's why, you know, that's, it goes all the way. They up. just know. They just look at me. I don't look tough. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just don't. And, uh, but it, it, those, those episodes made me a little more timid. You know, the first one with the, with the gangster shit taught me a lesson of, I will never again, unless you are my friend or my family, yeah. I will not get involved in your shit. I don't give a fuck what happens. I will enjoy the show. Go ahead. Beat the fuck out of each other. It's got nothing to do with me. The second one was so random. It didn't, it just made me timid. There was no positive outcome of it. That motherfucker still to me deserves a whooping. You know what I mean? Like yeah. fuck him and his whole world. But I believe he probably lives in, with himself in a demon way. Like he probably just has his own fucking terrible demons that he lives with. You don't rebound. You don't. You don't. If you're if you're a, a meth head and you're the kind of guy that sucker punches people at a bar over a girl, you don't you don't look at that and go. Maybe it's me. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. go, it's not me. It's the world's against me. You know what can fix this? One little key bump. One little key bump will get my head straight. I can organize my day. I'm going to make a list. I'm going to make a list. Number one, I should start a YouTube channel. Like, <laughs> exactly. And then, exactly. That's and then his especially day. if you fuck up, if you pull your parents into that, then the rest of your life yep. is this guilt. Yep. His life, he, sadly, he ruined his life that night. Yeah. He ruined his life that, life that night and said... I'm willing to do this over a chick. Yeah. Dude. Oh, that's the fucking thing I, like, I don't, I, I wish I had a. What kind of shit is that? I wish I re- I'd read a book for for young boys to yeah. go, hey man, no girl is ever worth it. No girl. And same with a girl, because I have little girls. Yeah. I, you, you hear these, I mean, you know the story of like a girl gets her heart broken for the first time and. And maybe tries to commit suicide or gets an eating disorder. And yeah. No, 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 no. None of them are fucking worth it. None of them. Nope. None of them. I saw. That's a fact. Oh, man. I saw an ex-girlfriend the other day. I wouldn't want to be married to her. Hell no. I love my wife. And if I hadn't, if all those ones that I was like, this is the one. If those had, if I had been like, hadn't had that one day where you turn around, you're like, I'm going to build a loft. Yeah. You know, Fuck <laughs> this. I can fix this. I can write this boat. I'm a badass. Yeah. I can fucking make this happen. Dude, if she don't want to fuck me, there's out there people that want to fuck me. No doubt. I'll just get in shape. I'm going to get on Rogaine. Like fucking. No, that you're you're a thousand percent right. That's the attitude to have. People get so fucking caught up in their emotions and their ego. They don't let shit go and they become, they, they, they attack. And yeah, have you, you've had, I, I've had three exes. Like I've been heartbroken over. Yeah, and then once I got over them, I'm good. And then they've tried to come back to me, and I'm just once I'm over it, I'm yeah. done. I'm just yeah. over it. So, I said, I said, Leanne dumped me right when we first started dating. Dated like oh maybe like four months. Yeah, and she dumped me, and I was dude. I've never been more heartbroken in my life. Sucks. I never in my life. I've never felt that heartbreak. It was a heartbreak connected to panic. Like yeah. panic and heartbreak. Oh, and it's I, the I, worst. I just get up and be like, huh, I don't have her anymore. I don't have her anymore. And I would be like freaked out. And I was like, okay, we can get through this. It's going to take a while. We got to make some changes. <laughs> like it's not going to be easy, but we can get through this. And I remember it was like working out was tough because I was like, I don't want to work out. I just totally. want to go to sleep. And I'd go. I remember I was jogging. I was jogging down uh, 
down outpost. I was run, coming off a of runyon, jogging back to my house, and I was jogging down an outpost, and the sun was setting. It was beautiful. And I could, for the first time, I could see the beauty again in a sunset. Like Ugh. when you're heartbroken, you're like, how can everyone fucking exist? How can they fucking be? And uh, and I remember saying, saying to God, I was like, God, if you like, if you just give me this chick back, like, trust me, I'll be happy. But you, if not, you got to make it a no immediately. Like I, I got to, and she wouldn't even talk to me. And I was like, I got to make a decision because I can't fucking flounder on this. But I was like, listen. But here's the deal. I was like, I still really want her. I was, I remember saying, if you give me this chick back, I won't fuck this up. I promise you, I won't fuck this yep. up. And I went back to my house. And, uh, and she had given me a phone call and I was like, I was like, I remember going, God, I was like, okay. And so I called God or I called Leanne, (laughs) I called God, I called Leanne and I I was like, Hey, she was like, hi, I'd written her, I'd made a mixtape for her and written her a letter and I put it on her car. Beautiful crush. And it was a lot of Coldplay at the time and, uh, uh, badly drawn boy. And so, and then she was like, I'm going to church tomorrow. She was going to, uh, black churches in compton leanne's weird yeah like she just felt more connected from the south going there than to like a church and she was like i, I don't Hollywood know what church yeah she was like i'm just going down to fucking south central to go to church because i can she could connect yeah and she was like uh i'm gonna go to church tomorrow uh and just kind of i was just want to think and then maybe we could see each other and she came over to my i was she came over to my room and uh, i remember being like i, I remember like Let's just go out for one night. And I was like, God, you listened to me. Yes. You gave me, you gave her back to me that's immediately. Beautiful. I was like, okay. And then I was like, I can't fuck this up. But then there's a part of your brain that's like, huh, is this the one? Like, God, hold on. I didn't know we were making deals. I, I could have said, like, <laughs> I could have said, like, give me a supermodel. Like, God, why, why didn't we talk this one through? Yeah, I mean, is that, did I really just go on the car lot and go, that one? Like, what? Well, God, I didn't know this was like a pick one. Uh, but yeah, but then we went to Malibu, went to dinner, and I've been very happy ever since. That I love is so her. F- yeah, you're like, God, I didn't ask for her this quickly. I mean, Jesus. This turnaround hold time on, is amazing. Hold on. I want a starring role in a sitcom. Yeah. Let, let me rethink my wishes. I want her back in six weeks. Yeah. You didn't hear six weeks? Yeah. Hold on. I got to sow my oats, God. No, bro. You 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 did all the right moves on that. You this did is all a the right, fucking, but that she's is, a perfect woman for yeah, me. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. It's It's been in. She, she lets you be you. Yeah. Yeah. And you I, won. She, dude, you know, I mean, we go out on the road, we tear it up. Get fucking lit. Here I am, two kids, fucking partying all night. Come home, fucking talk to her on the phone. What's up, babe? Hey, yeah. Yeah, no, we had a great time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, we had a blast. Stayed out till two. No fucking, no rules. Just be yourself. Have a good time. Come home to me. Make some money. Try to be healthy. Eat right. Work out. Take care of yourself for the girls. And let's fucking, let's do this. See, in, in my opinion, you you won the game. You won that game. Because there's a ton of people in relationships that I don't admire their relationships. They, they're they in fear relationships. You know what yeah. I mean? And you, my friend, ha- because you are who you are, you have to be you. You can never be in a relationship where someone's like, you can't drink. You uh, can't do this. You can't do this. Dude, those, you were can't. The ones, those were all the ones before one to change me yeah yeah they like the idea of what i was they just wanted it different and and but those all those heartbreaks and the, all those times that you think who's that guy she's with i'm gonna sucker punch him don't fucking ruin your life for a chick exactly for a fucking chick never, never. hopefully there's someone listening to this right now going yeah man fuck i'm going through a breakup god damn it these are two fucking grown men that have been through these like, you mean this ends yeah not only does it end but then there's a day where you go where you like almost like miss the hurt I think I'm saying this out of a movie. 
Is this no, a no, no. I, I, I'm feeling you. I don't you think I don't know that movie, but that's you miss true. The sadness. You miss you miss the growth period where you're like you're like you get inspired. And you're like you see a hot chick. You're like fuck. I'm back in the game. Totally. You go out to the bar with your boys. And you're like. Fuck yeah, this is fun, man. I forgot I haven't been hanging out with you guys for a while. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, you've been fucking hooked up to that bitch. And yeah. you're like, oh, man, these you guys are a blast. And then you're like, nobody get girlfriends. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm, sing- I'm, I'm single right now because I haven't found that girl that will let me be 100% me. And that doesn't mean be fucking player, clip girls on the road, Mike Young, dirty animal. Yeah. I mean, just literally, I got a different lifestyle. I fucking, I'm up crazy late. I slow sip tequila. I fucking, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm a homeboy. I like to go home a lot. I fucking write jokes. I direct my shit. Be let, you let me be me. We're good. But once you start to like sink in the claws and try to change, I'm out fast. Yeah. Like, you know, and I've, and I'm with you. Like I've missed the heartbreak before. I don't know if it's because of the bit. Like I missed a bit. Like I missed a yeah. good bit because those heartbreaks are fucking terrible. Oh, it's great when you're going through heartbreak and you're not drinking and you're like, it's fucking... You, you know, lose that weight quick. Yeah, and you're like, it's 11 o'clock, I'm going to go get a coffee. I gotta go. I'm not going to bed tonight. Go get a coffee, go to Barnes & Noble, and fucking look at some self-help books. Totally. Let's figure this shit out. Yo, I, I, I've read my way out of heartbreak before. Dude. I have self-help books, bro. If anybody out there wants a good book, Alpha, just call, just hit me up. My, uh... I got you. Um... Uh, yeah. I know all the good books to get you through heartbreak, bro. Dude. I've done shit where I've written letters and burned the fucking letter and dropped it into a sink. You know what I mean? This has I've been... done witchcraft. Dude. I've been down and out, Chrysler. <laughs> People think I'm like, dude, you're uh, a I player, smudged, Mike. I smudged an apartment before. I yeah. smudged a fucking apartment. I've... I've found out where the new... I've never been... I've never done a jealous... I've never beaten anyone up or done that. But, like, I have driven around where people... Like, the new boyfriend's job. I just drive around. Where does he work? I just want to see where he works. <laughs> I just where see. Is, how's he doing in life? Oh. And no matter how he's doing, he's always doing better than you. Like, in your mind, you're like, oh, Jesus fuck. He could fuck Christ. better. He could do everything better. But the beautiful thing is, is you get over shit. And the day... You, like you said, when you saw that sunset... I remember having those days, like, I remember being depressed, down, down, and one day I woke up and I was like, oh, shit, I got a little more energy today. Like, I'm, I'm feeling better. Yeah. And then you start getting really better, and you're like, oh, shit, I hope she doesn't try to come back to me. Like, I don't want her now. Like, I'm Dude, over it, and when I'm over it, it's done. It's my best, My best one ever is uh, chick, chick dumps me, I, literally made me look like I was out of my fucking mind. Totally wasn't. Totally fucking in love. Walking to New York, walking to Barnes and Noble. Anyone who knows me knows a lot of the story that I'm leaving out. But and I just was in a fucking place, man. I remember looking at trees, going "fuck trees, fuck trees, fuck trees, nature, people, air." Guys taking a picture of a tree. Fuck you. You're an asshole. What the fuck? And I was seeing people smiling, going, "Where do they find joy? Where's the joy? What are they happy about? Don't they realize it all ends up here? We all end up right fucking here." And then, uh, cut to, cut to, uh. I get discovered by Will Smith, and it's all these gradual things. How beautiful! I'm out is that? in L.A. I sold a sitcom. I get an offer to TV. I get sold a sitcom. I, I'm out in L.A. and I'm really loving L.A. I'm hanging out with my first, like, one of my first true loves is this girl Jen Malini, Jen Ivoroni. Now, it's one of my best friends till the day I die. Yeah, we dated like in high school, and I'm hanging out with her. All her friends are gorgeous. She's beautiful we're fucking living in hollywood it was like and and my phone rings and it's the chick that dumped me and she's like hey what's up 
And I was like, nothing. And in my head, I just looked at like her and her life. And I was like, oh, that's so sad. Totally. That, that, I, that, that I used to think that was badass. She's like, I'm in LA. Why don't you come out to the airport and we'll go have dinner? And I was like, airport? Who the fuck goes <laughs> to the airport? She's like, well, I can't really make it into Hollywood unless you want to pick me up and take me out. And I'm like, no. I was like, yeah. fuck. And I, I was like, you know what? I'm really busy. And I got, I got Jen, my friend Jen in the car. She had a friend who was a model from New York staying with her in the backseat. My buddy Eddie's up front. And I was like, uh, this ain't fucking happening. I was putting gas in my car at the, you know, that I think it's a Chevron on the corner of Third and La Cienega. That's catty corner to the uh, Beverly mo- Center and it's the mobile. It's a mobile. Hell yeah. I'm putting gas in my car at the Hell mobile. Yeah. And my car is on the south. I remember I was on the south side. It's a Mercedes. And, and I was just as a rental. And I had all this fucking money, all this opportunity. My life was starting. I'm a fucking comedian. Will Smith is my friend. I'm putting gas in the car. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, it ain't happening, honey. Uh, you you might have had me at the ropes one day, but motherfucker, the kid is back and he's living large. How great it, is that? And, and then you look at that and you're like, wow, man. What? To, to think that I was at death's door. Yeah. I was like, I mean, I like, I've told this before, but like, I convinced I'm fucking, I got diseases. When, when she dumped me, I was like, oh, she cheated on me. She, I, got, I definitely got something. Oh, fuck. Like, and then I fucking, I, I'll make it work. I'll fly down to Orlando. Surprise her for the weekend. And I show up. She's all dressed up to go out. And she fucking freaks out. She's like, you can't do this. You can't do this. And breaks me, breaks up with me. And I'm fucking spiraling. I get, I find out I'm obsessive compulsive during this period. <laughs> I mean, like, it was sitting with my dick and balls in a bowl of white vinegar watching Quantum Leap <laughs> with a 40 and a joint just going, what the fuck? When's this going to write itself? When's this going to write itself? Oh, fuck. That was, and then, and then I turned that around by saying, I think I'm going to build a loft. I remember we were in, in the village. Where I live right across from this comedy cellar. So like, I think I'm going to build a loft. And I built a loft. And that building a loft made me feel like, hey, it's not that bad. Yeah. So I can do this. I can get past this. Physical. You got, uh, you got, you got physical. Waking, up, waking the physical body up helps with that heartbreak too. Yeah. All you young bucks out there. Keep moving. You know what I mean? Like keep it moving. Get the fuck up. And get now, up. And now here I am. One of my one of my best friends is fucking sitting across from me, directing movies, fucking greatest stories in the world, hanging out at the comedy cell store la- the other night, fucking having cocktails, fucking life. Life is beautiful. Life man. is beautiful, man. So if you're going through a breakup, realize the other side of it. You just gotta wait a couple. Just wait twenty years. Just wait twenty years. It turns out really nice. Stay the course. Stay just the course. Stay your course. Stay the course and don't sucker punch motherfuckers and don't yeah. think any chick's worth it because it's not. Ever. This is what's worth it. No Fuck, doubt. Man, this is a podcast that was a long time coming. Yo. We've been uh, talking about doing this for a while. I'm so glad we did it. Yo, Kreischer, thanks for having me, bro. I love I love hanging with you. You're, fucking, you're a great you know dude. I love you, man. Like there, that period of my life when and Steve Byrne is to is to credit. I have to say honestly, yeah. Steve Byrne is to credit and I and I have to give him a hunt he saw me, two kids, uh doing the road and just hustling. And he pulled me aside. And he's like, "You need friends, man." He was like, "He was like, you need to start hanging out at the store. You need friends." And yeah. We, we all started going, doing the road on the Young America Comedy Tour, doing baseball, doing softball at the fucking what you would call it. And I, and I remember, and that was a real awakening for me. Yeah. And I met like, got all my friends to this day. Yeah. 
brought Kreischer right in the mix. It fucking, was the fucking best. Surprisingly great right. athlete. He, 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 at Ari, at I ran baseball. into Ari at that time, and I was like, and just because of the whole thing, I was like, I started Googling him, and he had the amazing racist style. Yeah. Walked up to him one time. I said, I think you're absolutely fucking hilarious. And he's like, I think you're hilarious. Let's be friends. Yeah. It's fucking great. It's awesome, man. Bro, I, I mean, we'll wrap this up because I know we've been talking long, but I do remember the first time. Do you remember the first time I met you? No. It was at uh, it was at the like the Long Beach Laugh Factory or something, like one of those obscure places. Yeah. And you like gave me crazy compliment after my set. It was and at you the were, Brea Improv. Oh, Brea Improv. One of those places. It was at the Brea Improv and you told that fucking joke and I fucking. And I heard your laugh. I heard everything your laugh. about everything you said was so fucking real and yeah. it wasn't forced it wasn't like wasn't high energy which was what we were all doing at the time yeah it was just talking and i was like i was like dude this guy's fucking badass thanks and yeah and you came up and you complimented me and i remember hearing your awesome loud laugh when it was, like while i was, I was on stage howling in the back with dan godfrey yeah howling in the back and i came over you're like who the fuck are you you're like, who the fuck are you? Who that are was you? A, I said that to so I said yeah. that to so many people in the brain improv because I thought I had it on lock. I said it to yeah. Chris Porter. I was like, who the fuck are you? You're <laughs> fucking amazing. Who the fuck are yeah. you? Yo, yeah, it's uh, it's no. We we've made some great we've made great connections in this in this comedy world, and hopefully, man, I always you know I always look at comedians like funny is money like funny like we are a gang of talented motherfuckers like that make people laugh for a living yeah so my dream my next level dream is is that i make a movie with my friends like for real like something that's like we use every i look at these old movies like i even watched back to school where they had kinnison in one spot and they had rodney dangerfield playing himself and yeah you, you know and if you use comedians voices that are their natural fucking funny voices then you've got a gold mine sitting in front of you, and yeah. that's really my mentality, man. And like, I, you know, I, I that's how I came up with the Young American tour was by looking at everyone, going, "We're all fucking funny. Let's get out of here," and that's kind of like what I hope to do in the future with film and television, whatever. Is like get our boys like doing the things that we're great at. Yeah. Like, I don't need a fucking agent or a manager to tell me who's funny. Yeah. You don't need someone to tell you you're funny. You've been funny since you were born. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. we just need all need like the 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 road and the and the avenues to just do what we do and put it out. Like just put the content out. So, you know, it's why we never let any lames in our crew. Like there's no none of our boys are not funny. You know what I mean? Like everybody yeah. actually is good. Funny you know? on and off stage. Yeah, you just yeah. we don't, nobody that's lame gets in. Just no disrespect. We like you as a person, but you're not hanging out. You gotta fucking, you gotta, you know, you're just not hanging out. You gotta come with the real shit, I think, to be part of that group that I feel lucky to be part of. So, fuck yeah, you know. man. Hey, do you have anything to promote? Shit, man. I got a, well, a stand up guy is now officially on Netflix. All so right. go watch a stand up guy. My Man is a Loser is on iTunes now. You can watch that. Um, follow me. I guess people react to Instagram. I'm not great on social media, but my Instagram is the real Mike Young, and Twitter is real Mike Young. And uh, I gotta, you know, I'll, I'll I'll tell you when my other movie Grounded comes out. I'll let you know. Grounded with Aaron Paul and Jeff Daniels that will be coming out probably like in the next six to eight months. Let me know, and I'll I'll talk about it on yeah, the podcast. I'll let you know. Well, I'll back. Yeah, we'll have some tequila. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm drinking the death. <laughs>
This episode was brought to you by The Machine.